Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Circle 2024 as the year for the Cardinals. So we spent some time talking about the transition that the organization is currently under and the transition they've been under the last couple of years from a scouting and drafting level. Not saying that 2021, two and three can't be winning seasons. I'm talking about though your young new nucleus has a chance to arrive in 2024. Does it though? Does it though? Are we sure that it does? <laughs> we'll play our game. Are we sure Are we that sure? that is the case? With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to be joined by Danny Mack coming up at 1130. But I did want to get into something that I read yesterday that I found fascinating over on The Athletic. They wrote a piece about what the 2020 season and the lack of a 2020 minor league season means for these clubs moving forward because Ferrario, we don't really have a reference point for this. Like they brought up in this piece, the last time that we saw anything like this, where there was literally zero experience for any of these younger players was world war two, <laughs> which was 70 years ago. Yikes. And so these GMs, the assistant GMs, people that are in front offices, they have no idea where some of these players are going to be. There was one story about a guy in Venezuela, a player in Venezuela who gained 50 pounds last year because they couldn't send him anything because of some of the restrictions within the Venezuelan government right now. They weren't able to send him like workout equipment. So there are a lot of players within organizations that maybe prior to the 2020 season were huge prospects that you don't know what they're going to look like, how far behind they're going to be going into the 2021 season. If they're a pitcher, you have no idea if they're going to be ready to throw 20 innings or 120 innings. There is so much unknown about all of this. And so as we kind of localize it to the Cardinals, I'm curious from your perspective, Ferrario, how much do you think this could potentially set back the Cardinals timeline? Because guys like Yvonne Herrera, for instance, were supposed to be here sooner rather than later. But with no real season last year, does that change the expectations moving forward for the Cardinals with their minor leaguers? You got to think it does. And I read the same article that you did, BK. You know, Saris and, and a couple of others did a phenomenal job with it because it talked about how basically if you weren't a top prospect, if you weren't a Nolan Gorman or an Yvonne Herrera, you were basically trying to find leagues to get into so that you can get some reps in and hope that these scouts would find you. So Cardinals wise... 
I think it sets some of these guys back. Now, for a guy like Nolan Gorman, he's going to get special treatment, right? Like for a guy like Yvonne Herrera, if there's no minor leagues, he's going to get special treatment. But for the other guys, for the guys like Tommy Edmond, and I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. If this was now Cardinals devil magic player. Yeah. You're not finding out who Tommy Edmond is. Tommy Edmond might not be on this ball club. Jordan Hicks might not be on this ball club because these guys weren't top prospects. So the hitting, the pitching that you're hoping is going to be coming up, specifically the hitting, because I think the pitchers have it a little more easier because they can still train with their pitches and kind of add to it. But hitting wise, I think this sets some of these guys back. Now, as a Cardinals fan, don't get nervous about Herrera and Gorman because, again, they're going to be in whatever sites available for him. But everyone else that you're hoping you can find to kind of add to this team, that's going to take a hit moving forward. See, I'm actually a little nervous about them as well. Um, And it's not that I don't think they're going to become good players because of losing out on the 2020 season. I do wonder, though, if it sets them back a little bit. Maybe it's not a full year. Maybe it's half a season. Maybe instead of being an ETA of 2022, now you look at an ETA of September of 2022 and then maybe 2023 being the first year that they really play. Yeah, I found this quote from a team analyst with experience in player development to be really interesting. Again, this came from the piece quote. I can't help but feel like it's going to affect hitters more negatively than pitchers. It's so much easier for pitchers to train on their own, to add pitches, to hyper focus on mechanics or a pitch. Even if it's possible that pitchers will have issues with injury and fatigue and injuries will come into spike. It's hard to think of anything, but that hitters are at a bigger disadvantage than the pitchers are right now. That's what I'm concerned about because we know the Cardinals are fine pitching wise. They had guys up in the big leagues last year that are young starters, young relievers that are going to be okay moving forward because they had the advantage, if you want to call it that, of at least being a part of the 60 game season for the Cardinals. But their biggest issue is those young hitters, those guys that are supposed to be coming through the pipelines that are eventually going to make it up to the big leagues. So without having this 2020 season, who are those guys that are coming up? Who is the next Matt Carpenter that could potentially be a later round pick that ends up developing through the system and becomes a really good player for the Cardinals? Who's the next Tommy Edmond that surprises a bunch of people and suddenly emerges in the big leagues? Who's the next Tommy Pham? Where are those guys going to come from? Maybe not even in 2021, but when we are really talking about them starting to contend again in 2022, 2023, 2024, we've talked so much about how very few teams have been affected the way that the Cardinals have purely from a financial perspective. It could also hit them in a big way on the field as well with some of these young guys that missed out on playing. Well, look, if this is the transition year that we all believe it is for St. Louis, and I'm localizing it just to the Cardinals, I think this is why more onus needs to go on the free agents and probably why you're seeing some of these guys maybe get paid more than anybody expected, like an Adam Eaton or like a Carlos Santana that we saw yesterday. Because if you don't have these kind of depth players, if you don't have these rookies that can come up and play for you, well, then you're going to have to sign some free agents to a low cost so that you have some protection with your players. Because if you don't have a Tommy Edmond, an Edmundo Sosa, or El Juris Montero, like Cardinals have these guys on the 40-man roster. What are they? You don't know. But if you don't know and they're not effective... Well, then you're going to have to go sign a free agent because otherwise your depth just became a lot thinner. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You guys can always get involved in the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. This begs the question. 
does it make it more important with everything that we just said that you bring back Yachty and Wayno? Because Libertor didn't have your typical AAA season. Zach Thompson didn't have your trip, typical AAA season. You don't have Ivan Herrera as close to the big leagues as he otherwise would. Is he going to be ready for 2022? We really don't know. Mm-hmm. So as of today, you kind of have to go under the assumption that the answer to that question is no. Does it make it more likely then that the Cardinals would prioritize bringing back Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright with so much uncertainty from these younger players moving forward? I think absolutely it does. And I think on top of that, now that you're seeing what some of these other pitchers on the market and catchers on the market are getting, right? Like if Mike Miner's getting $11 million, <laughs> Drew Smiley's getting $11 million. Well, then Adam Wainwright's probably going to be a little cheaper than that for you. And that also provides you protection than what it would be, say, you go out and you got to sign a Corey Kluber or something like that to add some veteran presence, right? You get the guy that you're used to. Yachty, to me now, with this uncertainty of minor leagues and what's going to happen, is more important than Adam Wainwright because of them not playing Andrew Kisner last season, because of you not really having depth that is going to be major league ready in the next two to three years, if that's the case with Yvonne Herrera and he gets stunted. Yachty's going to have to be here and you might need him for two years because you're going to need that bridge gap to get to Yvonne Herrera. And wouldn't you love to have the teacher of Yachty or Molina with a young Yvonne Herrera rather than, say, Kisner and a Matt Wieters with Yvonne Herrera? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? That that was always the Amen, Tyson from Mike Tyson. Well, this season was a punch in the mouth to Major League Baseball clubs. The Cardinals had a plan. They did. They were a smart team that knew it's getting near the end of Yadier Molina's career. So we've got all of these different catchers. First, it was Carson Kelly. Then it became Andrew Kisner. Now it's Yvonne Herrera who we're all looking at. And the 2020 season punched him in the mouth. And so now the question is, how do you adjust? And the adjustment to me seems like the most likely option for them would be just bringing back Yadier Molina. Mm -hmm. The Yankees decided to pick up the option on Gary Sanchez. It doesn't seem like there's a massive market out there for him. So if it ends up being $10 million plus a team option, maybe for 2021, where if they decide to pick it up, they can, if Avon Herrera is still a year away, I think that is the most likely option. I'm not quite there yet on Wayno. I'm going to be interested to see what his market looks like. If it is $10 million is out there for him somewhere else. And it's possible that is the case, given what the market looks like so far. I think the Cardinals would be more likely to move on from Wayno than they would be from Yachty because Yachty brings so much and the the plans have just changed so significantly because of what happened last year. But I think Wayno brings a lot too to this club that we aren't thinking about and that's the inning protection, right? We talked about it last week of Wainwright telling Maddox, don't even think about taking me yeah. out. I'm going to pitch 200 innings for you. I don't know if there's another guy on the market right now cheaper than Adam Wainwright that can be that guy for you. I mean, Wainwright brings so much to the table because one, he knows that he doesn't have much left and he can go out there and throw as many as he needs to, to protect these guys. But that's the other factor. He's got a personal relationship with the Jack Flaherty. He's got a personal relationship with some of these younger pitchers that the Cardinals might be wanting to protect. 
And I think Adam Wainwright takes that into consideration a lot more than, say, a free agent you bring in and just say, hey, we're going to need you to eat a lot of innings. It's 1113. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Again, like I said, we will have Danny Mack coming up at 1130. We'll talk about a lot of this with him coming up at 1130. Plus, Keith Costas, the son of Bob Costas and MLB Network host, is going to join us coming up at 1215 to talk about baseball's free agency period. Want to hear from you throughout. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the one. 101 ESPN app coming up next. Jeremy Rutherford put together his latest example of what he thinks the blues would do today. If the expansion draft were to happen tomorrow, who would they protect and who is most likely to play himself onto that list based on what they do this season? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Now with Petrangelo gone, you feel like you'll still get that from Pareko, but it, I think it's going to be noticeable uh, in terms of, of not having that depth on the right side defensively, and does that expose Justin Falk? I, I think it could. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us a few weeks ago talking about who he would protect this upcoming season after the year for the expansion draft, and he put it together a new piece yesterday on who he would protect, the forwards that he went with, Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shin, Robert Thomas, Sunquist, Cairo. No real surprises there. And then on the back end, he went with Pareko, Krug, and Vince Dunn as the three that he would protect after the season. So that means Perron, Sammy Blay, Zach Sanford, and Barbie would all be left exposed, along with Justin Falk, Marco Scandella. Gunnarsson, Bortuzzo, and Mikola, all exposed in the upcoming expansion draft. I wanted to ask you about this, Ferrario, because you're my Blues expert. I wanted to come to you for this. Of those guys that we are talking about right now, I don't think, again, that there is a whole lot of surprises on this list. But after this upcoming season, who do you think of the players that are exposed on that list right now? would be most likely to play themselves onto the protected list by the end of the year, in your opinion. Well, looking at the forwards, frankly, I'm a little surprised that JR has Cairo on that protection list. And I think because, one, he's going to be cheap because he's missed so much time and he doesn't have a lot of NHL experience underneath him. And the upside still is pretty heavy there. And look, you're going to move on, or you're going to expose an Ivan Barbashev because he's a fourth-line player. And although we all love Ivan Barbashev here in St. Louis, you hope that an Austin Pogansky or a Klim Kostin can replicate what a Barbashev can do. But I think in terms of your question, I think a Zach Sanford and a Sammy Blake can play themselves into this protection list over a Jordan Cairo. And a lot of that is going to depend on how Cairo does this season and shows him can he be a top six, top nine forward? Or can Zach Sanford take another step in development? Because we all know Craig Berube's system. He loves heavy hitters. Or he loves big bodies. But he also loves speed. And if Zach Sanford can provide that, or if Sammy Blake can provide that, I think one of those guys can play themselves into those forward positions. And on defense, I don't see Vince Dunn being protected. Really? I don't. I, I really don't. I see them protecting Justin Falk if he has a really good season, which I know, $6.5 million, and I think you take your chances that somebody takes that. But if Vince Dunn can't prove to be a top-four defenseman and Justin Falk proves to be a top-four defenseman, you're going to want that moving forward with Krug, Falk, and Pareko. But I also see them finding the need to protect Nico Mikola because that is a desirable prospect, a six-foot 
two, six foot three defenseman who plays heavy, plays physical, can move the puck. Mikola's progression this season is going to show if they need to protect him or not, too. He's the guy that I was going to focus on because I find him to be fascinating. I don't know what the role is, though. That's the problem is like if Vince Dunn weren't re-signed and he ended up getting traded elsewhere. I don't expect this to be the case, but in this hypothetical scenario, if Vince Dunn were traded and Mikola then becomes your third pairing defenseman on the left hand side. Okay, I understand how he plays himself into that discussion, right? It makes a lot of sense. You end up going with um, on the left side, Krug, Scandella, Mikola. You see what it looks like this year. Right. And then you end up protecting one, maybe two of them. But with Vince Dunn, where's the playing time coming from Mm -hmm. where Mikkel is consistently getting games and you know by the end of the year, okay, he's definitely somebody that we're building around both internally and then also externally where the Seattle Kraken would be like, okay, that's somebody that we need to, to take in the expansion draft. So that's why you would protect them. I don't know if that's going to be the case. The one thing that would work in that favor for Ario, and we talked about this with the goalie situation I wonder how the schedule is going to play into some of these playing time things, Mm -hmm. because is there a situation where if you're going two games in three nights or three games in four nights, would you play Scandella in two of the three? Would you play Scandella in one of those two in a back-to-back situation? Are you playing him in both of those games? And do you potentially go with Mikola one night? And then the next night you put in Scandella. I know that is typically something that you just rely on in a net, but could we see something different like that this year for some of the defensemen as well? I don't think so. Just because Scandella to me is an everyday player, right? Like he's a top four defenseman that I don't know if you can take out of the lineup. You're going to need him. I think when you come to rotations, just at least from what I remember with Craig Berube's coaching style, you rotate the bottom two guys, right? Like when Joel Edmondson was here, you'd rotate him out with Gunnarsson and Bortuzzo. Last year, it was rotating with Gunnarsson and Bortuzzo and a couple of other different players that you would select lot in and out until Jay Bolmeister was injured. So I think for this season, you're going to have to give guys days off, but it's going to be a rare case to give a Pareko, a Scandella, a Falk or a Krug days off. I could see Vince Dunn getting a couple of days off. Frankly, if he doesn't sign by training camp, he might not be playing that much in the beginning of the season because he's going to have to get up to speed with these guys. I don't know what his training has been like in the off season. So you might see more of a Nico Mikola in the lineup rather than a Vince Dunn, but you're going to see a rotation of Gunnarsson and Bortuzzo and Mikola and Dunn, I think just to get those guys some reps and some understandings. But when it comes to the exposed player and why I feel like Vince Dunn doesn't make a lot of sense to protect him, you got a Scott Perunovic who's not in need of protection. And we don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's exempt from Yeah, it. exempt. And we don't know if this guy is going to be a top four defenseman. But a Hobie Baker finalist gives you some hope that he's going to be. He's the exact same player as Vince Dunn. He's a left-handed shot. He's got more more years protection with him. So and Vince, cheaper, hopefully, And cheaper, too. yeah, exactly. So Vince Dunn, to me... If you're going to protect him and Krug and have Scott Perunovich, all who are on the left side, that's a whole lot of the same player on one position for you. So let's go back to Justin Falk, because you mentioned him as one player who could maybe play himself into the protected list. Yeah. What would he have to do realistically this year to do that? Like, would, would you need to see double-digit goals? Is it about getting back to 35 or so points? Is it about his performance on the power play unit? Like, what... What should Blues fans be looking for this year to believe that he's a guy that needs to be protected? Because given the contract, it almost seems difficult for me to believe that he w- he can 
play himself onto that list at this point. Right. And remember, his contract is the same as Tory Krug's. They're both going to be making six and a half million dollars. And Pareko's the one that's going to have to get an upgrade sooner or later with his contract. You know, it sounds the easy way out, but Justin Falk needs to play as a top four forward or top four defenseman to get onto that protected list. He has to be on the same level as a Tory Krug or a Colton Pareko. And that sounds impossible. Yeah, it does. But it does. <laughs> but if you go back to his final year in Carolina, BK, when he was an all-star, he was their number one defenseman. And that's saying a lot because Carolina had a lot of good defensemen at the time. He was the one that stood out. I think much like what Jeremy told us yesterday about Ville Husso, how we know that Jordan Bennington is going to be the number one guy. And JR's answer to that was... You know if you're not saying, well, we need Ville Husso to be better. If Justin Falk is being called for his head, basically, if this guy needs to be out of the lineup, he is a casualty to us, that's when you know he's not going to be protected. But if you get to the point where Justin Falk is in a lot of different scenarios for you, power play, penalty kill, five on five, late in games, if he is the defenseman that he was in Carolina, I think he goes on this protected list because right-handed defensemen who can play top four minutes, those are a rare commodity in the NHL, and you might have two of them with Falk and Pareko. It just seems given the con- – and I know I keep going back to this, but, it, I mean, it's the reality, right? Like, if you buy if you buy a brand-new car, you take it off the lot. The moment you drive that bad boy off of the lot, you're like, oh, my God, it just lost $10,000 in value. Yeah, right? still have that thought. And so you, you, leave the, you leave the dealership, and you immediately know your car – is immediately worth less than what you paid for. Right. And that's kind of how I feel about Justin Falk right now. And that's not to say he can't be a good player this year, but he's 28 years old. He's going to make six and a half million dollars for the next six years. Mm -hmm. And it seems difficult for me to believe that he can play himself into a situation where I think he is worth more than that contract, where it ends up being a good value for the blues. And so because of that, I almost feel like for me, it's going to be really hard for him to be able to play himself onto the protected list because I think I would feel more comfortable with him being exposed. And if they take him, they take him and you replace him with somebody that is a little bit cheaper on that right side pairing. And you're able to keep Colton Pareko long term as well. And you're not paying $20 million for your top three defensemen. It just seems difficult for me to believe that he's going to be able to play himself onto the list this year. The only problem with that is if you do expose Justin Falk, then you have become very shorthanded on the right side of your defense. Because after you have Colton Pareko, who's the obvious number one, Justin Falk, who is that second pairing on the right side, you have Robert Bortuzzo, and Robert Bortuzzo is a free agent, I believe, after this season. And other than Robert Bortuzzo, you don't have an awful lot of right-handed defensemen in the minor league systems for you. So losing Justin Falk would mean Robert Bortuzzo would either need to be re-signed and become a, a top four right-handed shot defenseman. And then there's not much depth left. And for six and a half million dollars for a top four defenseman, you might be paying more on the free agent market to find somebody who can replace that than what you are with Justin Falk. And again, everyone is going off of Falk's last season, this past year, his first year here. And they're using it in comparison with Petro, and they're using it to the point of saying, well, you kept him, so you lost Petro. Yes, that's true. 
but Justin Falk was never the guy that you traded for last year because he never found his spot. Now is the opportunity that I think he finds his spot. And I think you get to the point where you look at Justin Falk rather than a casualty and look at him as a guy who you depend on late in hockey games. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Always get involved via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature as well. Ferrario, hit the, ba- hit the sounder for me, my man. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. So it sounds like based on this news, I bet you we have some sort of um, a finalized decision by Yadier Molina sooner rather than later. The New York Mets have reportedly uh, closed in on a four year deal with James McCann. So if James McCann is officially about to be off the market and the Mets are the team that have decided to go down this path with him, first of all, it means JT Realmuto is not going to be a New York Met. It means Yadier Molina is not going to be a New York Met. So I would think Realmuto probably going back to Philadelphia at this point, given this news. And given what the Yankees decided to do with Gary Sanchez... I'm starting to wonder what the market is outside of St. Louis for Yadier Molina. I'm starting to think that it might not have developed the way that he was hoping because the Mets, if they missed out on JT Realmuto, was definitely going to be one of those teams. Now, to me, it comes down to whether or not Yadier Molina wants to split time with Gary Sanchez in New York, which doesn't sound like something Yadier would be interested and in. And Kyle Higashioka. Oof. That would have been bad. <laughs> or does he want to play basically every day here in St. Louis? Yep. I think those are going to be the options for him if James McCann officially gets this deal done. And it's Ken Rosenthal reporting this, so I fully expect will be done. A four-year contract likely for James McCann with the New York Mets. Does it say how much? It doesn't say yet. They haven't reported the financials of yeah. it, just that it is likely to be a four-year contract. Because here's the thing, too, with this news your contenders, if you're Yachty, are starting to fall off. Yep. So the Cardinals have been put in a great position to where now there's not much of a there's not much of a kind of a handcuff that the that Yachty can hold over the Cardinals, right? He doesn't like, have the leverage anymore. No, he doesn't because now it's okay, Yachty, where you want to go because there's not a lot of contenders out there, but you can be here and be a contender in the NL Central, and you can also play every day because now now might be the time that you move on from an Andrew Kisner or at least play him back up so that you can kind of bridge that stopgap to Yvonne Herrera. Yeah, this feels like a significant move. Um, It feels like something that could... This is why the Cardinals played this the way that they did. And we we can get on them about a million different things and what they have and have not done correctly, but this seems to indicate to me the Cardinals were right about what the market was going to be for Yadier Molina, and they thought it was X, he thought it was Y. They decided, okay... Yadi, go out there and see what it is. Go out there and find out what your market value is. And then if you end up, if it ends up being as high as you think, maybe we'll let you walk. But we think that we're going to be right about this. We believe that based on what we're seeing out there and what James McCann is going to get and what JT Ramuto is going to get and who the contenders are for their services, we think you're going to come back to us and you will ultimately accept what we are offering. And it seems like, Based on this news, James McCann likely getting ready to sign a four-year deal with the New York Mets. 
I would think that that probably means they are going to end up with George Springer as well. And I would think that it very likely means that Yadier Molina is going to end up back here in St. Louis. This seems like a good day if you're a St. Louis fan that wanted to have Yadier Molina back here in St. Louis. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Danny Mac's going to join the show. What does he think is going to happen? What's the future look like in his opinion for both Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina? We'll talk about that coming up next with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Not joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, but rather in studio, Cardinals broadcaster and host of Scoops with Danny Mac. He is Dan McLaughlin joining us on BK and Ferrario. Dan, how you doing today, my man? Great to be in studio with you guys. Normally we do this over the phone, but uh, we are in studio and, uh, you know, it's a chance to get your reaction off my stupid comments, so it's perfect. <laughs> Looking up? forward to it. All right, so let's start with this. We had some actual news in baseball yesterday. Uh, there was the Adam Eaton signing in Chicago. There was the Lance Lynn signing or trade to Chicago. And then we heard about the Royals going out and getting Carlos Santana as well. Do you think that there's going to actually be some more movement this week in what would typically be the winter meetings? Yeah, I, I think that kind of got it going. I do typically notice that at this time of the year, the relievers go off the market, then you'll see some starters, and then you see position players go off the market. So to see Lynn get traded, which is the big fish out there in my mind, I mean, for a guy for $8 bucks for one year, you trade for him. That's a great deal for the White Sox. What it tells me is that they're going for it for Tony La Russa. His shelf life as a manager probably isn't long, maybe one or two years, maybe three. I mean, who knows? He's 76. Who knows how long he's going to want to do this? But by them getting Lynn, getting Eaton, they're going for it. And he's got now three guys at the top of that rotation that are really good on a team that already was really good. And I love what the Royals are doing. I think when you look at their ownership group, how they've handled the pandemic, whether it be what they did with their employees, how they handled their minor leaguers, and the fact that they're going out and spending some money, uh, it's I, th- I just think that they're doing things right. And I also believe that when you start to see some of the chips fall, it sets the marketplace, and we'll probably get a little bit more movement uh, as we finish up this week. Now, having said that, I also believe that December, what would normally be this time in baseball, we may see what would be a typical December wind up being in January. It's going to push it back by about a month with all this movement, but I do think it's going to lessen up to the bigger picture what you're asking about. I do think it lessens up maybe some of the movement. So, Dan, what do you make of the market then? Because usually at this time, last year we saw a bunch of the big-name free agents go off at winter meetings, and now we're seeing... You know, I use this term loosely, but these average players that are going (laughs) off of the market and a George Springer and a Trevor Bauer are the ones that are going to be waiting around. Do you see that kind of continuing with more of these average players signing? I think it depends on what the Mets, the Yankees and to an extent, the Angels, certainly the Dodgers, what they want to do. These big market teams, how much they want to spend, do they want to spend right away or do they wait for the market to get set? And then they say, "Okay, now we know. That's what the price is. That's the going rate. And then the the chips start to fall with those guys. But as you start to see the lesser guys, to your point, that sets the market. Then you know, generally speaking, what it's going to cost. I also think with the pending CBA, that makes it really interesting what teams want to do and what certain players want to do, too, because we don't know what the financial landscape, certainly what the financial landscape is going to be in 2021. But looking ahead to 2022, guys, I'll be sitting in this studio 
knock on wood, hopefully talking <laughs> to you about baseball, but and hopefully having a CBA. But my gut tells me I, I, we're going to be in a real dogfight between the PA and, and Major League Baseball, which then it does dovetail into what we're talking about now. Cardinals broadcaster and host of Scoops with Danny Mac, Dan McLaughlin joining us here in studio, BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Do you guys agree with that? I yeah. think the pending CBA is huge in part of what's oh, going yeah. on now. I'm terrified of what's going to happen next offseason. I mean, you you look at right now what's going on with the designated hitter and how that's become a negotiation. If that has become this heated between the players and the owners and they haven't been able to figure that out in mid-December now, <laughs> the heck's going to happen when they've got all the financial stuff that's on the line? I, I don't know how they're going to be able to get that done in any sort of reasonable timeline, which means... I mean, we're looking at right now, the market seems kind of constipated and it's going to wait longer than it normally would. What happens when they literally don't know if they're going to have a season next year this time around? I, I don't know how that you can feel any sort of positive t- positivity about that. I think the DH thing is not that it's getting overblown, but it, it's way more important, in my opinion, for the players as opposed to the, to the owners. Now, I, and I'm talking to just the financial aspect of it because... You know, we we didn't have a DH going into the season, and National League teams were able to kind of just figure it out, right? I mean, that you had guys that were on the bench. The Cardinals had Brad Miller. They said, okay, here's we can deal with this for 60 games. We can figure this out. But when you're talking about Nelson Cruz and Marcelo Zuna and others and saying, well, half the marketplace is not available for you. You know, teams are not looking at you as an outfielder. You're strictly a DH, and you're taking half the marketplace out. That's a big deal for a player because a lot of those teams already have their DH in place anyway. So what do you do? I mean, that is something that has to get negotiated. I thought it would be either done by this week or certainly by Christmas, you got to know, which is in a couple of weeks. But it's just lingering. And to your point, that's what makes this frustrating. And I I think, generally speaking, most fans, even here in town, I can't believe I'm going to say this, want the DH. (laughs) I think we all kind of liked it. Well, because it's good for the Cardinals right now, right? right? Because if you're looking at the market, look at what the players are that we've connected to the Cardinals. Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson. Yes. These are guys that... You need offense. You, they can play outfield, sure, but I would rather have them play DH if they can next season, you know? And so you look to what the Cardinals can do to upgrade this offense. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Dan, we've talked about this a little bit. If the Cardinals add to this offense, it feels like it's going to be in the outfield. But I, then I think I, it has to be, yeah. But then I go through what their outfield situation is right now, and if there's no DH next season, and it sounds like that's at least for the time being, how they're approaching this. Dexter Fowler, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, Justin. <laughs> I've got six guys that I already feel like could potentially yep. make the major league roster next year. Austin I'm gonna, Dean. I'm going to add another one to that mix. Right. I, I would love to upgrade the group. Don't get me wrong. But is that something that the Cardinals are actually going to be here for if there is no designated hitter? A couple things to keep in mind. Lane Thomas, Austin Dean have minor league options. So that's something that you could get a little relief with. Justin Williams is out of minor league options. So he's either got to make the club or adios. So that's three guys that you can get a little flexibility with. They're going to have to go out and make the club. Um, But those things take care of themselves in spring training. I was talking with Brian Walton about that earlier today on my show. You know, this is this is kind of make or break time for Justin Williams. They like him. Now, we haven't seen it's unfortunate we haven't seen a lot of him. He was part of the Tommy Pham deal. When he makes contact and his numbers prove that in the minor leagues, when and if it's hard hit contact. And that's what they're looking for. That's baseball in twenty twenty one. You know, forget the strikeouts. 
They're going to be there. There's going to be a ton of them. Who hits the ball hard? Who gives me power? And if somebody emerges out of that group, then they stay. If they don't, they're gone. It's it's really that simple, I think. So, Dan, you use the key words there that I'm interested in, and that's minor leagues, because I don't think any of us know what this minor leagues is going to look like for this upcoming season. How does that not only affect the Cardinals, but affect Major League Baseball? If you don't have all of these minor league options, because then you have to really decide what these minor league players are rather than throw them in a ball or in rookie ball to figure it out. Yeah. I, I, you know, today was a big day in baseball because they pared it down to 120 minor league teams. So now you have your affiliations in place. The Cardinals are losing two of those that now become college wood bat leagues. I really feel bad for those communities, by the way, yeah. some of those places that, had uh, major league affiliations and now they're gone and the value of those franchises go down and a lot of those are family owned which really stinks and and that's how you develop I think fandom too where if you're from those outlying areas and you watch this young star go to rookie ball or a ball and you know he's a stud and you go find him in a ball and you follow him through and all of a sudden you say hey, let's go grab the family and go to St. Louis or go to Chicago and go watch him for a weekend. You're going to lose some of those fans. So I I don't know if it's short-sighted with some of the money things. I just, from the fan side of it, I'm disappointed. To your question, I think we're going to have to have uh, some semblance of minor league baseball this year. Now, part of that dovetails into vaccines and being able to congregate. Mm -hmm. Now, they're playing winter ball. Now, that's yeah. think about that. They're playing winter ball without a vaccine right now. We were able to get through a season without a vaccine, and I'm not saying that they're going to have minor league baseball without a vaccine. I just think we're going to have um, – it would be, be interesting on a couple things, Alex. Number one, when does instructional camp start? Normally that would start in like a month for the Cardinals. Right. There's been no word on that. Maybe Mo will address that today. The other thing is um, in terms of getting into spring training, who goes to spring training? <laughs> Like who? Where? I you, saw a report yesterday that they were talking about potentially having the major leaguers come early yes, and then the minor leaguers correct. coming after. So that would basically be a split camp. Two different squads. It, it, that way, you don't have as many people congregating at once. However, how many of those guys are invited to major league camp? You know, that's the other thing. I mean, you got like Matthew Libertor, um, Zach Thompson. You know, you're talking about guys that Nolan are Gorman. Nolan, Nolan Gorman, Gorman yeah. that you want to see. Where are they? What happened last year? Now they have a general idea, but you want to see them in competition with these major league guys. So it's a great question, Alex. And I do think we'll have a minor league season. It's just a matter of when and if it starts. Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster, host of Scoops with Danny Mack, 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN, joining us on BK and Ferrario. Last question that I've got for you, and it seems to be the most pressing one for the Cardinals right now. The hell's going to happen with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina? You know, I have to ask this. Um, I, I think Yadi, the way I look at it, just reading the tea leaves. So uh, one of the places I looked at that would been would have been a right fit for him was the Yankees, and they picked up. You know, they kept Gary Sanchez. I, I gotta wonder what the uh, the marketplace is for a thirty eight year old catcher that doesn't have great offensive numbers, and we're talking about how baseball is looked at in twenty twenty defense. Is kind of taking a back seat to an extent, and strikeouts, we're fine with that. So we want power. We want we want guys that can mash. Yachty's not going to do that. Um, but there's the intangibles. He's a coach on the – and this is true. I mean, he's a coach on the field, handles a pitching staff. If, they, if you had the final three innings of Game 7 of the World Series, I want him behind the plate more so than anybody else. But how much am I willing to pay for that at the age of 38? And am I going to give him a two-year deal – I don't think so. I, I just don't think that that marketplace is quite there for him outside of St. Louis. 
there's a lot of intangibles that make sense for him to come back here. And as this thing develops and as we go forward, it just seems like all signs would point that it would make sense for him to come back here. Now, with Wainwright, he's been more receptive, I think, to saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I've made a ton of money. I'm willing to accept an incentive-laden deal. I want to finish my career here. I, I got. I, I just get a feeling that that's going to happen. And this is no insight from the Cardinals. It's just me reading what the marketplace is. Um, I just think it would it would be right too that both those guys finish here. Now that's my fandom coming out. Then there's the reality of what is right for the club. And if you kind of look at what twenty twenty one is, it's almost a transition period for this franchise in a lot of ways. I mean. Uh, Miller's going to come off the books. Carpenter, uh, Dexter Fowler, and there's somebody else I'm missing. But it, it adds up to about 50-50. Carlos, Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez. Yeah, thank you. So do you want to Do you just totally pull it off the Band-Aid and say goodbye to those guys? And we, we're saying this is a transition. You don't say a transition, but you say we're still trying to win because I think they can win the Central. The Central's a... Not a great division. <laughs> Somebody's got to win the NFC East. Somebody's got to win the NL Central. <laughs> and they're going to have good pitching. So the Cardinals do have very good pitching. So is it a time to say goodbye, or do you bring them back? I, I would like to see them both come back. I think most fans would like to see that back, especially when you get the chance to be back in the seats. I just think all signs ideally point to having them back. And with Yachty, too, I got to wonder, and I've said this to both you guys, you know, Kisner did not play in a truncated 60-game season. He wasn't there. And I so is he is he ready to take the reins and be a guy that plays 120 games? Now Herrera is playing winter ball. He just started playing winter ball, but he by all accounts is a year and a half, two years away. That bridges you the gap to him if that's the guy in the future. So Again, another check mark in the box of bringing him back. I, I just think he comes back. I, I do. So real quick then, if if those guys come back, you don't see any upgrade offensively. And Mo has talked about upgrading offensively, but if you're bringing those guys back and what they've said about not spending a lot and cutting the budget back, doesn't really open up a lot of holes for guys to, to, to come in through free agency. The answer to that is what is the budget? And, and my understanding is the budget hasn't been set. You know, we're still kind of waiting to see exactly vaccine rollout, Fans in the stands, are we playing 162? And if they're fans in the stands, what's the capacity? All those things. And then that will dictate what they can spend. We're looking forward to seeing this thing develop. Yeah. We always appreciate the time. Hear him weekdays, 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac. Scoops with DannyMac.com. Also, of course, the Cardinals broadcaster for Fox Sports Midwest. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for having me in. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That is Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him. If you missed anything from his show, 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app, the full podcast is brought to you by I Promise. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers coming up here in just about 20 minutes or so. We will be joined by Keith Costas. We got to get down to the bottom of this Bob Costas Twitter account situation. <laughs> we'll do that with his son, Keith Costas, coming up at 1215. But from the 618, 
Guys, do you think that the MLB will bring back the double header rule from last year? That is one thing that I would like to see implemented for 2021 and beyond. Ferrario, what do you think? Hell, if the Major League Baseball can't figure out when to do a DH, they're not going to figure out how to do the double headers again. Uh, no, I don't see that happening. I know a lot of people loved it with the seven inning rule, but I'm imagining Major League Baseball is going into the season hoping that there is little to no double headers that they have to utilize. They have more time to adjust a normal schedule, even if it's not a 162 game schedule. So if the double headers are going to be a rarity, I think they're going to go away with that rule as well. I would love to see it. I would too. I don't think that it's going to happen. Um, just because that's not the way that baseball does things. We all know this. They are not a forward thinking uh, organization, but I would love to see them decide moving forward. Hey, you know what? We are going to have two or three double headers a month for each team. It's going to help them with a little bit more rest and recovery time. You're going to have an extra day off over the course of a month, two, three days off from that. And it's going to be seven inning doubleheaders. When we have to play these, if there's a rain out or whatever, it's going to be seven inning doubleheaders. It doesn't change the numbers that much by playing what? 10, 15 innings fewer over the course of a season. Right. We already see these guys getting more days off than they once did. So I would love to see it. I think it makes the doubleheaders more tolerable, easier to watch as a fan. I'm all here for it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, what happened to Jamie Rivers? Why isn't he here with you from 11 to 2 anymore? Well, um, you Jamie missed, Rivers. If you missed one's got to go on Friday. We kicked him <laughs> off of the show, people. We were done with him. Yeah, I, I was done with Jamie. I wanted my name first. I've said this from day one. I've been upset about it. It's true. So they decided, you know what? It's going to be BK and Ferrario. No, uh, Jamie is now with the fast lane. He is killing it with those guys. It is now Brad Thompson, Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, Brad Barnes in there with him. Um, he's going to do fantastic with them. It is me and Alex Ferrario with you here from 11 to 2. From the 636, BK, did you make it to your fantasy playoffs this year? What is the biggest thing that you learned about fantasy football from the 2020 season? So this may surprise you, Ferrario. I'm in a number of fantasy leagues. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I have, I, frankly, have a major in one. Um, I am in four different leagues. I made it to the playoffs in three of them, and I'm arguably the worst team in the fourth. <laughs> uh, what did I learn this year? Uh, first of all, playing through a pandemic was difficult. Second of all, um, Picking Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round was a, va a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> and so, Did the Kansas City Chiefs love and fanboy come out when you picked him in the first round? I mean, it made sense, right? We've always seen that the running backs in Andy Reid systems have huge success. And for whatever reason, it hasn't worked for him this year. So whatever, it is what it is. That was my biggest mistake. I went Clyde Edwards-Alaire and then Miles Sanders in the first two rounds. It didn't, it didn't go well. No, <laughs> that's not go good well at all. Me. And so that's where we are. Uh, yeah, I, I made it to the playoffs in a few leagues, but I prefer daily fantasy at this point. I like FanDuel, yeah. DraftKings. I, I'm I'm more into the daily fantasy realm now than I am with the season long. It's just more fun for me. You don't have to worry about the injuries totally derailing your season. So I prefer daily over season long. The only one that I do normal season long fantasy is in football. I tried baseball and it was just too long. Tried hockey too long, too just obnoxious to try and stay on top of. Daily in baseball is where I'm at. Like Really? I oh, can't yeah. do it. That is where I, like, I will build those batting lineups every single day. 
It just makes watching all of the games a little bit more intriguing for me. Rather than just focusing on one game, you're paying attention to all of them and the players that you picked. So that's daily baseball, which I've gotten into daily football now with FanDuel and Argosy yeah. Casino. But um, with uh, with daily baseball, that's where it's at. See, I can't do it. I can't do it. There's there's too many. That's where I'm the sorry. money's at, too. <laughs> it is. Um, and this is a first world problem. There's just too many matchups for me to keep up with. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good enough at it to be able to actually make money. So I'm out. That's, I'm out. Your, that's your that's your like area of expertise, though. It's nerd. It's numbers. True. True. It's expectancies. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN from the 573. Alex needs his his name first. So that way, BK can continue to play second fiddle. <laughs> Touche, sir. I will continue to do so despite the fact that my name comes first. (laughs) Coming up next, is Dexter Fowler or Matt Carpenter the bigger hole for the Cardinals in the lineup? At least one national writer says that it's the guy you're probably not expecting. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. What I would probably try to do if I were the Cardinals is dedicate like one spot to Dylan Carlson and just say, go for it, you know, get like a competent veteran guy who can be like a league average, you know, two or three win player and let him play every day and see if that works. I mean, you, you aren't going to win if you don't get something out of the young guys and you're not going to win if you don't make some additions, right? And they're going to have to go out and try to do something to fix it this winter because as we saw last year, just standing pat by itself is not going to fix the problem. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mike Petriello on the show about a month ago of MLB.com talking about how, hey, you know, the guy that they need to get more out of moving forward is Dylan Carlson. And if they're going to get that, one of the guys that it could come at the expense of is Dexter Fowler. He wrote earlier today about the biggest holes in every lineup for teams across Major League Baseball. When he got to the Cardinals, I was fully anticipating, okay, here comes an article about how Matt Carpenter's a problem for the Cardinals and they need to find a third baseman and we'll just move on forward, right? We've seen this article a million times. Nope. Biggest hole in the Cardinals lineup, according to Mike Petriello of MLB.com, right field. He said, maybe this is a little unfair to Dexter Fowler, but then again, maybe it's not. In a shortened 2020 season, he was worth zero wins above replacement. From 2018 through 2020, he's been worth 0.4 wins above replacement. He's going to be 35 in March with one year left on his contract. He might be better suited to play a bench role for the Cardinals. Not all of the names available for the Cardinals are starting options. It's unclear how aggressive they will be in the free agent market. One of baseball's most disappointing offenses simply cannot roll back the same lineup next year again. Again, that coming from Mike Petriello of MLB.com. I am surprised by this. I don't know if I agree with this. However, Ferrario, as you look at it, and let's be honest here, Fowler did drop off at the end of the season whenever he came back from his illness that he was dealing with. But before then, he had been the most productive outfielder by far in the Cardinals lineup. Do you view Fowler going into next season as a bigger hole in the lineup than Matt Carpenter if both are right now expected to be everyday players? Well, first, let's address the elephant in the room. They got a lot of holes on this roster right now. So I don't think right field is the only spot. You can make an argument for third base. Frankly, you can make an argument for left field for second base right now, even with Tommy Edmond. I feel good about Edmond, and I feel good about in left field if uh, Dylan Carlson's going to be the starter. 
if he's going to be the starter, yeah. which I'm, and I think at this point, I'm confident he will. And be. especially with what Mike said when he, on the return, basically that you're going to give him a spot and run with it. I see the point where they're going with Dexter Fowler because Dexter Fowler, unfortunately, is a log jam for other outfielders that you're looking for. Look, this was the bottom team in on base percentage, bottom team in slugging percentage, home runs, everywhere you want to go with this. This was the bottom team. And Dexter Fowler at his best doesn't help in a lot of those areas. He helps with on base percentage, but he doesn't mm-hmm. help in home runs. He doesn't help with slugging. He doesn't help with power. You're playing a guy because he's the best of the outfielders that you got, which isn't saying much because Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill have struggled. Bader's gotten better. O'Neill has his spurts. But with Dexter Fowler, you're taking up that spot and you're you're disallowing more playing time for some of these other guys or you're disallowing the opportunity to go out and sign an Eddie Rosario that might take less money to come play for you or sign a David Dahl at a very reasonable price to see what he can offer you. So as much as I don't agree that he is a problem because he was one of your better players, his position is a problem because he's playing because of the salary, not because he's making your team better. Interesting because I, I view that as Matt Carpenter. The the problem for Matt Carpenter right now is his salary, just like you were talking about with Dexter Fowler and the fact that it might prevent them from going out there and making the necessary improvements. And I just, at least with Fowler, he's a capable defender, right? You know, he can be solid in right field. He's not going to be a plus defender out there, but he can help you. And on the bases, he's a plus base runner Uh, in terms of his on base percentage. He takes a good walk. Matt Carpenter doesn't help you defensively. He's not good on the bases right now. His bat has not been good. Last year, we always talk about you make fun of me for the expected numbers, Mm -hmm. right? Well, his expected batting average last year, based on the way the profile, the batted ball profile for Matt Carpenter was 215. 215, which is a bottom five percentile number in all of baseball. His expected slugging percentage last year was 400. That's awful. He was basically expected, based on the way that he hit the ball, to be one of the worst everyday players in all of baseball. And so I just don't know how you can come back next season with that guy being your starting third baseman. Meanwhile, with Dexter Fowler, I can explain what happened with him. He got sick. He came back. It wasn't quite the same player that we saw early on. But early in the year last year, we saw Dexter Fowler actually start to play better. We saw him produce in the lineup. He was one of the very few guys that I felt good about going out there every day. And so I understand what Mike Petriello is getting here based on just the wins above replacement numbers. But to me, the bigger hole for the Cardinals is not in the outfield. It's at third base right now because I can't expect anything different going into next year than I saw last year. Matt Carpenter, whereas Dexter Fowler, I can tell myself a story. This is how he improves. This is how he gets back to where he was at the beginning of last year, as opposed to the player that we saw at the end of 2020. See, but when you're describing Dexter Fowler, you were describing in my eyes, Matt Carpenter, although a lot of people view him as a bad defender. He's not horrible at third base. Like he's, he's average for you. I mean, he can make the throws. He doesn't look comfortable doing them, but he makes the throws and he doesn't have a lot of errors at third base. Um, he's okay on the base paths when he's right, he's taking walks, but all of these are what ifs. And again, I think Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter are the same person in my eyes. And if I'm Mike Petriello, I'm looking at both and I'm saying, okay, yeah, both are holes. Fowler has the, the, the war problems, but he was good for a little bit. But when you look at the free agent market this year, I think that's where Petriello is coming from. 
because you can't upgrade this offense. And what he said at the end, you cannot run this same offense out there. If you look at this market, there's not a lot of obvious upgrades at third base that make you better than Matt Carpenter. There are a lot of obvious upgrades in the outfield. And in that article, he said, look, Dylan Carlson to upgrade, play him every day. Get him out there. He's the 14th overall prospect, play him. But because of Dexter Fowler, you don't have the opportunity to play Tyler O'Neill every day, regardless of what you think of him. You don't have the opportunity to play Lane Thomas. You don't have the opportunity to play Justin Williams. And frankly, you don't have the opportunity to go spend five or six million dollars on insert name here on the free agent market. I I understand. But like if I if my opportunity is go get Jonathan Scope, your guy. I'm going to go do that as opposed to playing Matt Carpenter every day. At this point in his career, he's a bench bat to me. Mm-hmm. And it, not a great one at that, but it is what it is. You've got him under contract for one more season. You live with it, right? But he's not an everyday player by any stretch of the imagination. And maybe neither is Dexter Fowler. But at least with Fowler, I know that there is some value there. I don't think the same is true of Matt Carpenter at this point in his career. It's 12-13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm going to ask this of Keith Costas coming up in 15 minutes. What does he view as the bigger hole for the Cardinals in their lineup? Is it right field or is it third base? Which one of those is the more pressing issue right now? We'll get to that coming up with Keith Costas of MLB Network at 12-30. But coming up next, there is one question left for the college football playoff to answer. And they just might have gotten a little bit of an indication on what that answer could be with some news that happened earlier today. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Ohio State fans should be the biggest Alabama fans going because if Alabama (laughs) knocks Florida out, I'm just telling you, if Alabama knocks Florida out, Ohio State is in the four. If Florida beats Alabama and at Clemson beats Notre Dame, Ohio State will be left out. It will be Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida, and Alabama. Ohio State's out. That was Kirk Herbstreet last night on the college football playoff reveal show. The top six now, Alabama number one, Notre Dame number two, Clemson number three, Ohio State currently in there at number four. And then on the outside looking in, you've got Texas A&M and Florida as the five and six or fifth and sixth ranked teams in the country. Ferrario, I find it fascinating right now what the college football playoff committee is going to have to go to go through because the Big Ten just announced that they are going to change their policy that teams have to play at least six games to be eligible for the college football or for their Big Ten championship game. That means basically Ohio State's going to play Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. Who could have seen this one coming? Indiana going to get the boot. Ohio State's going to get in. So the question then becomes, does if Ohio State wins that game, are they guaranteed to be in? Are they at six and oh, is that enough for you? Or or if Alabama loses that game in the SEC championship game championship to Florida and Florida finishes the year 10 and one. Alabama finishes the year 10 and one. And now you have Notre Dame at either 11 and one or 12 and zero. you have Clemson at either 11 and one or 10 and two. What happens then? Because Notre Dame and Clemson are going to play each other. Alabama, Florida will play each other in the ACC and the SEC championship game. You're going to have a six and zero potentially Ohio state team. I think if Florida beats Bama, Ohio state's out. But if 
Alabama beats Florida, that's how I think you get Ohio State into the college football playoff. Because then Florida drops to 10 with two losses on the season. That would make the most sense because, look, if Florida can't beat Alabama, then unfortunately they don't deserve to be in there, whereas Ohio State has been 6-0 or 5-0 or however the hell you want to look at this on the season. That makes the most sense. I do think there's an argument, though, because – you know, as the college football experts go with, which I am not, what's the power ranking in terms of the schedule that the Ohio State Buckeyes went through? Because did they play those teams that deservedly put them in that conversation? They basically played Indiana. And that's it. And that was a close game. They beat Indiana by seven points. Indiana played them really tight in that one. But their other wins on the year, Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, and Michigan State, they have not played an imposing schedule at all. And, and so this and comes this this would become a question of deserving versus best. Ohio State, I think, based on watching, based on the eye test, I'm pretty certain they're one of the four best teams in the country. Yeah. Are they, though, one of the foremost deserving teams of getting into the college football playoff? That's a more difficult conversation with them only playing at most six games this season. See, I'm going off of what I would want to watch as a fan. And I think regardless of where Ohio State stands in terms of schedule, I'd want to see them in the postseason, right? Because they're always one of those top echelon teams. But look, if Florida goes out there and beats Alabama... Florida deserves to be in it, and Mm -hmm. Florida is the best team to be in it because of the way that they have played. And if you look at the way that the Florida Gators' schedule wrapped up, they played a lot better teams than what Ohio State went up against in their schedule with their five victories. So Alabama beating Florida is the number one way for Ohio State to get in. I think there's one other option, though. There's one other route that would immediately, no matter what, as long as Ohio State beats uh, Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship, there's one other route for them to get in. If Notre Dame once again beats Clemson in the ACC championship game and they do so handily and they do so like 31 to 20 and it's it's pretty clear Notre Dame is the better team than Clemson and this time they did so with Clemson at full strength last time um, Trevor Lawrence did not play right. when Notre Dame beat Clemson. If that happens... I think then you have to put Ohio State in as well, regardless of the result from the Florida versus Alabama game. I agree 100% with that one, too, because then then Clemson doesn't really deserve to be in it, right? Because of the times that Notre, Notre Dame was the better team every time they went up against those with those. To me, this is all so stupid, <laughs> right? Because like this is why we should have, and I, I sound like a broken record because I say it every time we talk about this, but this is why there should have been eight teams. This is why, because all of these teams technically deserve to be in it for the way that they've played. And for what it's worth, the the teams that would have made it then would have been Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, like we just talked about. And then Texas A&M gets in, Florida gets in, Cincinnati probably would get in, and then I... I don't know what they're going to do with Iowa State. I was stunned last night when they were put at number seven in these rankings. It seems strange to me because they had a loss already against Oklahoma State and they lost head to head by 17 points against Louisiana, who ended up in these rankings at number 19, which is wild to me because they're nine and one on the year and they beat head to head Ohio, uh, Iowa State, who's in the top 10 now. Um, And then Coastal Carolina is at 13. Coastal Carolina beat Louisiana head-to-head who beat the brakes off of Iowa State. So uh, trying to understand these rankings is always a bit of fool's gold, but that would have made all of this so much easier of a conversation. And in a pandemic season when there were already inequities based on the schedules, based on when the Big Ten started compared to everybody else, I think that would have been the route to go. And maybe you can... 
I'd listen to the argument of doing six teams because then once you hit the seven and eight, Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, okay, but like, do we all realistically think they're going to even make it entertaining against teams like Alabama? After seeing Coastal against BYU, I think they would have made it entertaining. Not against Alabama, I'm with you, but if they were put head to head against Texas A&M or Florida. Yeah, I'd, I'd give them a shot in that game. I don't think it would be likely that they would win, but I would like to see it. Right. It's entertainment purposes, right? Like, that's what we're going off of with all of this. And that's frankly why we're in this position that Ohio State is even in this spot because they've changed the rules because money <laughs> talks right now. And Ohio State is the biggest money out there. But this every I mean, we're doing it. We're talking about it. So technically, college football's winning. But this is why it's so frustrating, because in a moment like this and a year like this, when you have all of these teams where when you get past number four on the rankings, it becomes kind of a jungle, jungle, jumbled mess. You should be expanding that and talking more about these teams to open this up a little bit. more. So speaking of a jumbled mess, neither the college football uh, coaches poll nor the AP top 25 poll had Mizzou ranked. But the college football playoff poll did last night, boys. Those Missouri Tigers are in the top so not 25. the coaches poll or the players poll, but it was the AP poll? No, no. The college football playoff rankings had Mizzou last night top 25. coming in at number 25 overall. The Tigers playing Georgia this weekend. Going to get the brakes beaten off of them. Not he- neither here nor there. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that right now. Eli Drinkwitz has things uh, rolling in the right direction. Five and three on the year. Huge win over the weekend against Arkansas. Man, can't say enough good things about yeah. what's going on out there in Columbia right now, both for the football and the basketball team. And while we've got a second here before Keith Costas, we should bring up last night. Huge win for Illinois. Yep. Go on the road, beat Duke. We saw recently slew has been dominating everybody they've gone up against. They beat LSU earlier this year. Mizzou had a great week last week as well, had a big win, ranked win over Oregon. This is very likely going to be the first time that we've seen these three teams, SLU, Illinois, and Mizzou, all in the tournament together in the same season since 2013. And it's probably the best college basketball season for those three in terms of like if you look at it holistically since the 1999-2000 season. So basically this century, it's very likely based on what we've seen so far that this is going to be the best basketball year that we've seen for SLU, uh, Illinois, and Mizzou. It's incredible. I, I was reading Andy Katz's article yesterday and I had to pull it up just to make sure, but they did an article of, of the 10 rising stars in college basketball. So beyond the players that everyone's talking about and on that top 10 list from a national perspective, you got two local players, one being Missouri Tigers and the other one being the Slew Billikens, two guys that are up and coming players. And if you watch, I was watching the Illinois game last night. They're God, they're good. The freshman point guard, which the name is, is surpassing me right now. He played like a senior. And if you're talking about freshman players right now, Mizzou has the exact same thing where they got a couple of freshmen and sophomores that are playing like seniors. If you have that, you're setting yourself up not only for success because they're just going to grow, but you're setting yourself up for success in recruiting. And to flip it back to football, I heard Drink say yesterday that right now you got possibly the best recruiting class ever in Missouri. And for the Tigers to be playing the way that they're playing, basketball and football, to have those recruiting classes continue to grow, 
I mean, you set yourself up locally for some pretty intense college sports moving forward. I think you're talking about Andre Corbello, uh, yeah. the, the freshman Corbello, guard yeah, for Illinois. Uh-huh. He's been incredible for them so far this the year. The speed on this guy is is insanity right now. Yeah, they, they have a really, really good team, and it's exactly why when they hired Brad Underwood, I said I, he was the guy that I wanted Mizzou to hire because mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be great wherever he went, uh, went next, and he's been everything that they could have asked for and then some yeah. at Illinois. So heck of a year. Can't wait for bragging rights this weekend. I wish that there were fans in the stands for this one, but it is what it is. 2020. Uh, this is what we get with Alex Ferrario. I am Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Keith Costas, Bob Costas, son confirmed yesterday that the Twitter account that was out there claiming to be Bob Costas was an absolute fraud. We'll get to the bottom of that with Keith coming up next. Plus who does he want to see the Cardinal sign this offseason? All of that with Keith Costas next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Thrilled to be joined by MLB Network producer. He is Keith Costas joining us on the show. Keith, always appreciate the time, my man. How are you doing today? I'm good, guys. Uh, just braving the first New York City uh, snowstorm of the winter. So excited to get back home to St. Louis next week for a long extended stay. You know, these snows are nice for about 90 minutes or so, and then it just becomes an extraordinary pain in the city. So ready to get back to the Midwest. <laughs> so sounds like something similar that you had to deal with uh, earlier today as well. Very fun for a few minutes and then extraordinarily painful. Who is trying to impersonate your father, Keith? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, apparently someone who's got plenty of time on their hands because it wasn't a particularly creative or uh, not really sure what the point of that whole exercise was. But, yeah, we had a fake Bob Costas on Twitter this morning, which – was about as likely as pig slime. So I believed it for all of about half a second, but my phone was blowing up and it's been a slow market in the baseball world. So I honestly think it was probably my busiest morning of the off season so far, but uh, yeah, I can confirm still not on Twitter. Yeah. I saw the tweet Keith and I I saw the trending of Bob Costas. And the last time I saw your dad was doing one of the live at Shannon's with Mike Shannon and Mike Claiborne, (laughs) and he still had his flip phone like Mike Shannon. So I was pretty positive that, Bob wasn't on Twitter, but let's go down a hypothetical road, Keith. What would Bob Costa's Twitter look like? Oh, man, that is such an abstract concept that I'm not even sure I can <laughs> offer a, a guess at what that might look like. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you mentioned it, the flip phone. He was loyal to Pantech, the technology giant that produced that <laughs> flip phone for many, many years. It was a, a huge step when he moved into the iPhone, iPad consumer market, but um yeah, Twitter, social media, he still has not crossed that bridge, and I wouldn't hold my breath for it anytime soon. <laughs> He's Keith Costas, MLB Network producer, joining us here on 101 ESPN. All right, Keith, let's talk a little baseball because uh, you are from St. Louis. You certainly know this team inside and out, both working for MLB Network and just because you're a baseball fan as a whole. As you look out at the market right now, if you were to be put in John Mosellock's shoes today, what would be the priorities for you? What would you want to see the Cardinals do this offseason? Well, I mean, in an ideal world, I think you'd want them swimming in the deep waters with guys like George Springer, maybe Michael Brantley, some of the other big-time free agents that are out there. But from everything we've seen from the team so far, and in fairness, most of the teams around the league, given the pandemic and no fans in the stands and everything that we all are well aware of that's going on in the world right now, I don't think that's going to be the route they go. So I know they have a crowded outfield situation already, but I think you look at the list of non-tenders. It's been discussed plenty, but all the non-tender guys, options that were picked up, some kind of mid-tier free agents that are out there, I think just the volume of outfield options 
that's probably where I would start my search in terms of improving this team in the offseason. But it's not like there's perfect fits there either. So he's got a tough task in front of him, but I think outfield is probably their best chance to add an impact player. But they'll have to take some risk on to do that as well. It's not like there's sure things out there. So, Keith, when you look at those non-tender names, because in St. Louis, you know, everyone is attached to guys like Eddie Rosario or Kyle Schwarber or David Dahl, as some of the national perspective has connected him to St. Louis. Do, do any of those names make sense for the Cardinals in terms of finance and in terms of what they could provide with the hypothetical situation of no DH? Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to handicap the finances without being in the room, but I do think all of those names to one extent or another would make sense. And if I had to pick one of those three you mentioned, I think I would lean towards Rosario. Now, in a vacuum, he's far from a perfect player. I mean, the pandemic is obviously driving these non-tenders, but they're not going to get non-tendered if they're elite players. They obviously have flaws on the field as well. So with Rosario, he's not going to be a guy that puts up a huge on-base percentage. He's going to strike out plenty. He's going to have some lapses in the field, but... You're talking about a guy who has more RBIs, which I know is a dirty word in 21st century baseball analysis, but this guy has the sixth most RBIs in baseball over the last two years, easily the most RBIs by anyone on the free agent market. So I know he hit in the Minnesota lineup that looks absolutely nothing like what the Cardinals have been running out there the last couple of years, but I think just the volume of hits, extra base hits, damage, even with an imperfect approach, makes him a pretty intriguing name. See, I like him as well, Keith, and I like adding an outfielder to this mix. I mean, we've talked plenty, and Ferrario yells at me all the time about (laughs) Jock Peterson and how he makes a lot of sense as a potential platoon player out there as well. I I think my question, though, is like I'm, I'm all for adding to the outfield and helping the offense that way. I also feel like they need a third baseman, though, because right now you're looking or second baseman either way, depending on where you want to play Tommy Edmond. But right now you're looking at Matt Carpenter potentially being your everyday third baseman. And Keith, I don't need to tell you that just hasn't gone well for the Cardinals over the last two seasons. So is there a way that you think they can upgrade both in the outfield and at third base, given what their financial situation is? Man, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, you talk about the financial situation. They're obviously dealing with the final years of some pretty rough contracts here, be it Carpenter. If you remember back to the Fowler negotiations, it was pretty widely reported that they were stuck on a four- or five-year deal, and the the cards ultimately caved. They gave him that fifth year. It'll be Carlos Martinez, guys like Andrew Miller. They've got some big numbers on guys that you don't necessarily expect to live up to that value in terms of the money this year. But I think you look at the market, and there's just not – as many options at third base, plus you have the added complication of who's going to want to come here and sign to play third base, knowing that you have a guy who's been in that clubhouse for the better part of a decade, Matt Carpenter, even if he's not the player that he was, that's a tough gig to take over for a player like that that has that kind of stock within the organization, within the clubhouse. Plus, on the back end, you've got a kid like Nolan Gorman who's coming as the top prospect in the organization. There's really no long-term certainty, and the number of names that kind of fit that mold is a guy who doesn't necessarily need to run out and play 150 games, also isn't going to be looking for a long-term deal. I just It's not impossible, but it's harder to figure how that could happen relative to the discussion we were having about the outfielders. So I'm sure they'll be looking at their base. I'm sure they'll try and get as creative as they can, but it's just hard to figure at this point from the outside looking in from my perspective. So, Keith, we talked with a, a beat writer for the Cincinnati Reds yesterday, and he brought up kind of how the Cardinals uh, system and the Cardinals way, so to speak, of building a roster has been the North Star for a lot of these teams in the division. When you look at the NL Central now, does it seem like the Cardinals model is still working or does it seem like that's turning into a flawed model in teams like the Cubs model or what the Dodgers have done is starting to be the other side? 
I'm not sure if it's a flawed model. I, I mean, you can never have enough big league ready players, but as we all know, they haven't been able to develop that, that separator of sorts. The guy that you look at and say, man, this guy's going to make a huge difference in a five game series or seven game series in October. This is a guy that the opposing pitching staff is going to circle as someone we just can't let beat us. I mean, I guess Goldschmidt in theory has been that guy, but there's been so little around him in the lineup that he really hasn't been in a position where he's had to be pitched to in every situation. So I mean, yeah, they're just they are they are in a very tough spot right here when you look at where they are as a team. But then to get to your question about the central, it's pretty interesting, guys, when you look at what has happened the last couple of weeks. Jason Stark had a great article on the athletic about the non tenders. Almost half of all of the non tenders in the league this year came from the AL Central and the NL Central. <laughs> I mean, you could make you could take that a lot of different ways, but I mean I think that kind of easiest explanation is smaller markets in the Midwest more affected by the pandemic. And when you look at it from a money perspective, the total money saved on non-tenders in the AL Central and the NL Central was almost three times what it was in the West and the Eastern divisions combined. So there's a lot of mediocrity in the middle of the country in baseball. So I'm just not sure any of these teams really have great motivation to go out and take on a ton of risk and try and do something really special because there's really not a lot of competition within the division you've got a bunch of teams that are going to play around 500 or maybe a little bit better so they're in a spot in a sense and that they're not going up against the titans of baseball and in within their own division but that also from a fan perspective doesn't give them a ton of motivation to do something super aggressive keith costas joining us here on 101 espn keith the guy that we have to ask you about or the two guys really that we have to ask you about here in st louis are Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, both still out there on the open market. It seems like, uh, depending on what happens here with James McCann, Ken Rosenthal reported earlier today that he's close, reportedly, uh, with the Mets on a potential four-year contract that's since been uh, kind of muddled a bit. But it seems like that's probably where that's heading, and maybe that helps kickstart the catching market a little bit. We know the pitching market has been active from your perspective, do you think that the most likely scenario for Wayno and Yadi at this point is for both of them to return to St. Louis? Or as a fan as well, do you want that to be the direction that this goes? Well, as a fan, I certainly want that to be the direction that goes. I mean, who knows if Wainwright's going to be able to replicate what he did last year over a full 162, but there's a need for him for sure in the rotation. And when you look at the catcher position, I mean, we really didn't see much of Andrew Kisner last year. So what are you going into the season with if you don't have Molina? You're talking about a guy who really hasn't played much at the big league level at any level over the last 18 months or so. So I think that they're both going to be back. And when you look at Molina in particular, I just don't, I just don't see him bringing, I mean, look, he's going to bring value wherever he goes, but so much of his value is not necessarily what he does at the plate or even behind the plate at this point. A lot of it is just the leadership aspect and it's very real. And I think that plays, in St. Louis more than it would anywhere else. You look at some of these teams that have been mentioned. You talked about the Mets. The Yankees were a team that was kicked around a lot. They ended up hanging on to Sanchez. You know, people have talked about the Angels, but I can't imagine Yadier Molina being interested in going out to L.A. for a team that hasn't been able to get over the hump for quite some time now. I just don't think that there's a fit for Yadier Molina as good as the fit is in St. Louis. So I do expect both of them to be back. Keith, the player that uh, I think a lot of Cardinals fans are asking questions about right now also is Carlos Martinez with what's happened in the offseason and what happened this past year of him wanting to be a starter and not remaining healthy. Uh, looking at Carlos's role for this team, uh, do you see them using this guy more as a starter or a reliever or possibly trying to cut ties before the season starts? Yeah, I mean, cutting ties before the season starts, I, I think if they could move him, 
they would have moved him. It seems like kind of reading reports and just reading the tea leaves of the team that that's been something that they've been open to for at least a couple of years now. And I thought last year when they decided to start the season, I mean, it lasted for all of a couple of days, but when they started the season with Kim as the closer and Martinez in the rotation, just from a pure baseball perspective, that seemed very curious to me. I and mean, given the Cardinals track record with how they analyze pitchers, I mean, just the year before bringing in Michaelis from, you know, having pitched in Asia, you felt very good about, their scouting of Kim. I mean, I coming into the season, I thought there was no chance that he wasn't going to be an excellent pickup. I didn't think he'd be, be as good as he necessarily was, but I felt very confident about Kim's ability to pitch in the rotation. And we had seen Martinez be, you know, a little bit of hold on to your hold on to your chair when he comes into the game. Sometimes <laughs> he was pretty effective in the back end of the bullpen. And I think fans rightly had their questions about his ability to stay healthy in the rotation. So all things being equal, I would like to see him in the in the pen, but. I think we have a pretty good idea at this point that Carlos does not agree with that line of thinking and would prefer to be a starter. So another tough one that's tough to handicap, all things being equal up to me, I'd like to see him in the bullpen. But I think we all realize at this point, predicting anything with Carlos Martinez is sort of a fool's errand. Last question for you, Keith, for me. And it's kind of as it's a follow up to that in some ways, but it's a little bit more big picture. For baseball as a whole this season, given that it was a shortened season in 2020 and a lot of the minor leaguers had basically zero work, how do you think teams are going to go about utilizing their pitchers? Like, are we going to see 200 inning starters this year? Are we going to see guys that start 30 games? Or is it going to be a little bit more piecemealed for these teams, given the fact that a lot of them, I think the leader last year was Lynn with like 80 innings pitched. How do you see them handling this? Yeah, that's a great point. You bring up Lynn. That was the first thing I was going to go to. There's obviously going to be some teams that are designed in a more old school way. First and foremost, being our old friend Tony Larusa up in Chicago with them just getting Lynn. I mean, they've got three horses in the front of the rotation that they're going to hope go six, seven, even eight innings every night out. But for the most part, I think you're probably onto something there with we're going to see a movement even more towards the kind of Johnny Holstaff approach. Maybe not necessarily openers, but more kind of tandem starts, piggyback starts, guys doing multiple innings out of the bullpen, especially with the three batter minimum here to stay. So, yeah, I think that we are uh, maybe not every team is going to be Kevin Cash, Blake Snell in the World Series <laughs> level aggressive, but I do think that, yeah, I hope not too. But I, uh, but I do think we're going to see even more of a movement away from kind of the traditional pitching strategy that we've seen over the years. He's Keith Costas. Check out his work, MLB Network. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. He's at Keith Costas. Do not follow his father. It was a fake account. <laughs> Keith, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and the family. Enjoy your holidays. All right. Thanks, guys. Happy holidays. You got Peace it. Keith. That is Keith Costas joining us here on 101 ESPN, talking with him. And as we've kind of gone back and forth over the last uh, week, especially, but certainly over the last few weeks, Ferrario and mm-hmm. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'd love to hear from the audience on this. It seems to me like we have kind of we've come full circle. And after talking about all of the different options that are available to the Cardinals and after discussing um, the the infielders and all of these different guys, it seems to me like it, it's coming back to Yachty, Wayno, an outfielder, and let's see what it looks like in 2020, uh, 2021. I, 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 maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm reading the tea leaves wrong, and we're going to hear from uh, John Mosellock later today, so maybe he'll have a little bit more of an update on Yachty and Wayno, but I... I think given the way that things have gone, the way that the market has started to trend, it feels like that is where this is going to. I, I think so. And I go back to a comment that John Mozalak had on his press conference when they did kind of the end of season wrap up once the World Series was done. And Derek Gould had asked them, you know, how do you sell this team 
going into next season. And John Mozeliak, a little bit fired up with it, said, look, this is still an exciting roster. Believe it or not, if you're a Cardinals fan, the front office believes that this is an exciting roster. And rather than going out there and diving in the waters of a Michael Brantley or a George Springer, the most obvious move for the Cardinals and the most cost-effective move for the Cardinals is to bring back the two players that they could probably get hometown discounts on that would be willing to come back to St. Louis and to bargain bin on a player that helps your bench. Right now, they don't view this season as a season that you got to go out there and sign a big player to make this team a fighter. The NL Central is where it's at, and minor upgrades can help this team move forward. Like it or not, that's the mindset right now, at least it seems, of the front office. I think you're right, and I don't have to love it. It doesn't much matter uh, where... Uh, how I view it, it matters how the team views it, and I think that that's the way that this thing's going to go. Just kind of writing down really quickly, man, some of the options for the Cardinals and the rotation as well, kind of going back to the question that I asked him there at the very end. I think you're going to see a rotation if they decide to re-sign Wayno. Flaherty, KK, Michaelis, Wayno, and Gomber. I think those will be your five most likely. Yeah. And then I think you're going to see to his point of the piggybacking. I don't know if this will be necessarily like every night they go this way, but like Reyes is going to be an option to, to have some of those piggyback starts. Ponce is going to get some of those. You're going to see John Gant go multiple innings at times. I think we'll see a little bit of Jake Woodford. We're going to see Carlos in some of those spots. So you see Oviedo as well. Absolutely. So as, as much as we can be frustrated and disappointed by the way that the direction that this is going now, I do think in terms of the pitching side of things, they they are set up better than a lot of other teams to be able to go this path. I agree. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Drew Goodman is a Rockies broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet. He's going to join us to talk about what David Dahl is as a potential player. We talked about how they probably are going to add an outfielder. He's one of those that makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. We'll get into that with Drew Goodman at one o'clock. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Drew Goodman, a Rockies broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet, coming up in just about 10 minutes or so. Going to talk David Dahl with him. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Ferrario, what do you have for us today, man? So I got two today, buddy. So I'm going to start with this one, and we can go back and forth. So the first one, you're looking at a house right now, right? Absolutely. Not currently looking to buy, but definitely, you know how this is, right? You, you get on Zillow and right. you're like, okay, where are the houses that we could potentially get that we're absolutely not going to buy? But yeah, yeah, yeah the, the the pipe dreams, so to speak. So there was a, uh, a couple that went trending on Twitter the other day because they had just purchased a house. They went into the house and looked around, went into the basement, and in the basement, there was a baby doll head that was ingrained into the bricks of the house and this was a baby doll head that had its eyes pulled out it was like black basically looked like it was molding little bit frightening am i right yeah this sounds like the haunting of bly manor (laughs) that's kind of what i was thinking and again this was in the brick wall like whoever built this house put this baby doll head and it's not a normal baby doll head so the question is would you move out or do you stay with the house since you bought it Oh, I mean, you've you've got to you've got to be able to stick with that, right? Um, I, 
I feel like there's a way to be able to move forward without the doll head inside of the brick, right? Like you could you could remove that. Am yeah, I wrong? But, yeah, but what if like what you don't see behind the baby doll head in the brick is probably a person? No, 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 no. no. Uh, listen, if there's a dead body that is found in my house, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and have some bigger questions. So the that are asked couple here. decided to uh, to dig a little deeper, and there were bones behind that. Are wall. you serious? Yep. And they moved out immediately. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. What? So baby doll head in brick wall, behind brick wall, where baby doll head was, were human bones. All right, so uh, I've got some follow-up questions. They <laughs> bought. Too. They had previously bought this house already. They purchased this house. They were going for the final walkthrough. Did they never walk into the basement and see, hey, there's a baby doll head over there? Well, I'll show you the picture once we get to commercial break, and I'll tweet it out too, but like you can see basically... I mean, it is a tiny baby doll head. Like, it looks like a Barbie doll. Like, you really can't see the whole thing. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, removing the doll head is absolutely what unleashes the curse upon you. Amen. <laughs> I don't think I'm digging behind the brick wall to see if there's bones behind it. I'm just moving on with the baby doll head. I, I don't think I would have the foresight to think we need to remove that and then continue digging. Like, I, I would just assume that it was something weird, that there was some kind of, like, a, a kid decided I need to have this as a part of the house yeah. uh, for the long haul. I wouldn't have thought to remove it and then to continue digging behind it. Yeah. There must have been something else that's part of this. Some witchcraft going on in that house, and uh, I would move out just like the Twitter follower, or the Twitter person did when they posted well, yeah. those pictures. <laughs> you better get all of your money back I'd as be well. Out. <laughs> all right, so I was looking on on the New York Post and they have this story uh, about plane etiquette, right? So you get on the airplane and we all know you, you can't be the guy that's taking off your shoes. You oh, yeah. can't be the guy that's all leaning over into you the seat next to for you. That. Yeah, there are certain things that once you get on the plane, you just don't do, right? Well, this woman gets on the plane and the girl that is sitting in front of her, it's not somebody that's like kicking into the back of the seat or anything. She's not worried about that. She throws her hair over the chair. So Ugh. now the person that is behind her has like the entire full head of hair right in her lap, right? What's the response to this? Scissors. <laughs> so what she decided to do was kind of along those okay, lines. Okay, good. <laughs> Smart woman. She decided, you know what? I've got my cup of coffee right here. We're just going to go ahead and dip the bottom of the hair into this cup of coffee. I don't need it that bad. This is ridiculous. She asked her a few times to remove the hair, right? Uh, nope, wouldn't do it, wouldn't listen. Eventually, full head of hair right into the cup of coffee. It's the only way that you're going to be able to get out so, of this. So she asked her to please put your hair back on the other <laughs> yeah, side well of the you seat. Have to. Okay, so if you've asked one or two times, it's the same thing that kids go through with bullying in school, right? Like, you tell the pro the bully to stop, he doesn't stop, well, you gotta take it into your own hands. If you ask the person to remove their hair from your side of the seat, which is insanity that I'm even saying that right <laughs> now because you think normal people would understand, then frankly, something has to happen to the hair, and... I'm curious, did she grab the hair and put it into one big, like, little... She did, yeah. Okay, so see, that's <laughs> smart, because then the person knows that you're messing with their hair, and you ask them a couple of times, it's going into the coffee. Yeah, I... It might be a little excessive. Let's, I don't think let's so. be honest here. I don't um, think so. You might have gone like four steps too far. Uh, <laughs> okay, but what were the first three steps before that fourth step? 
Honestly, I don't know how you deal with this. <laughs> the like, first step is asking them. Our, our audience is not going to be surprised by this at all. 65780 is their comfort service sex line. But I'm the guy that, like, if there's there's a kid that's behind me that's kicking my chair, I'm you just going to live with it. it. I'm going to live with, with it for the three hours. If the dude next to me takes off his shoes and his feet smell terribly, well, then I've just got a horrible oh, no. next couple hours ahead of me. No. I just eat it. I that's Like, like a kid kicking my seat, I'm okay with. But if you take your shoes off and your socks off and your bare feet and in the plane... There's going to have to be some type of repercussions for this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. What is the correct response to this? Because me, I'm just, I'm living with it. BK's living with it. it. I'm busting out scissors, which I don't know how I got the scissors on the plane in the first place. Furio's taking his gum, putting it in the hair, and she'll have to figure it out another time. Sticking it to the seat. That's, or bring lice onto the plane and put lice in her hair. What? I don't know how you do that. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's go over to talk with our guy, Drew Goodman of AT&T Sportsnet in Denver. He is a Rockies broadcaster. We've talked a lot about David Dahl. We've certainly had our fair share of questions about Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado. We're going to talk to Drew Goodman about all three players coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie, BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Excited to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We've talked a lot about the Rockies in recent weeks and months because they've got a lot of players that certainly would be of interest to Cardinals fans. And now we are happy to be joined by Drew Goodman. He's a Rockies broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet. You can give him a follow on Twitter at DrewGoodman42. Drew, always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing all right. So let's start with uh, David Dahl because you've been able to watch him up close and personal over the last few years. Ends up getting non-tendered by the Rockies and is certainly drawing some interest out there on the market right now. For Cardinals fans that haven't seen a lot of David Dahl, first of all, what do you think went into the decision to non-tender him? And then what kind of a player is whatever team that signs him getting? Well, first of all, the decision to non-tender him, uh, you know, many clubs, the majority of clubs are, are really going to keep their purse strings tight uh, based on the obvious, uh, the pandemic and, and uncertainty in the 2021 season in terms of how many people will be in the ballpark, et cetera. Um, they obviously couldn't trade him because uh, they wouldn't have non-tendered him if they could have worked out some sort of deal. Uh, you know, David Dahl was an all-star in 2019 and you know all all that means i I think you guys realize this is that you had a good first half a really good first half he's a former number one pick he's got uh, a lot of talent uh you know he has the ability to you know really be an extra base hit guy hit 20 plus home runs and you know probably 30 doubles runs better than average um has defended center field though it's you know, he, he's okay in center field and course field. He'd be better in a probably a smaller ballpark. The biggest issue with David Dahl has always been uh, his inability to stay on the field. And he's had bad luck. It's not, it's not just, you know, a pulled muscle or that sort of thing that, that seems to linger. He's had catastrophic type of injuries going back to his minor league career when he had a collision and uh, had a, had a, a, a splenectomy. Uh, so he's always dealt with these things, but there are some, athletes, you know, sometimes to no fault of their own, that they just have careers where they're never, ever fully healthy. And, and so far, 
unfortunately for David, that has been the case. So, Drew, with that being said, you know, I, Colorado has done a phenomenal job of evaluating offensive talent, and we've seen that with guys like Arenado and Charlie Blackman and Trevor Story. So with David Dahl, who is a high draft pick, it just seems to be a little strange that he gets non-tendered by Colorado to where you wonder if other teams would be willing to take a chance on somebody like that because if Colorado didn't see success there, why would another team see success? Well, it it, it all depends on on dollars on, on what you can uh, you know what you have to pay him and and is that work into whatever your payroll and your budget is because he's still a very young guy he's still as we talked about a guy with uh several tools you know uh, he struggled last year after opening day he had a really good opening day at three hits opening day and then really struggled and then got hurt again um but you know this is a guy that should be able to to hit for decent average. Um, he's an aggressive guy at the plate, so there's going to be a strikeout component to him. But, um, you know, he should slug, you know, somewhere in that 450 range and and be, uh, you know, an average or slightly above average uh, defender. But the whole key is staying on the field. I mean, somebody's going to take it. I don't even want to say take a chance. Somebody's going to sign him as a young guy. He's in his prime and, and uh, you know, hope for, uh, you know, better health and a new environment. We're talking to Drew Goodman, Rocky, Rocky's broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Drew, as I look at the Rockies now, and it kind of goes back to that question about David Dahl and certainly the financial component of all of this, not only for the Rockies, but all across baseball right now. Where do the Rockies stand in terms of their life cycle as a team right now? Are they are they going into a little bit of a rebuild cycle after this year? Where Where do you think the Rockies are right now? Well, I, I think when you evaluate the Rockies, and again, everything for every team not to be redundant is going to come back to, uh, you know, how they're going to structure their payroll based on uh, the world environment that, that we exist in. And there are certain teams that seem to be, you know, that, that are going to be aggressive. It looks like the Chicago White Sox are being aggressive. It looks like the Royals, uh, you know, in your state uh, to the west of you are, uh, you know, being, you know, mid-level aggressive. Uh, I don't know what the rest of the industry is going to do. I would imagine the Dodgers will continue to be the Dodgers and the Yankees will continue to be the Yankees in terms of um, how they spend. But even even how they do it will probably be uh, – I'm sure they'll be a little more judicious in where they uh, apply their funds. With the Rockies, they always keep things close to the vest. Um, I, I know, interestingly, they actually are better on the mound from a starting rotation than they are from a position player standpoint. Um, offensively, they've struggled mightily the last couple of years. They have, um, you know, elite offensive player in Arenado. They have an elite offensive player in Story. They have a very good offensive player in Blackman, I think, still, though, you know, he's getting into his mid-30s. After that, they're well below average at virtually every position from an offensive standpoint. Um, so uh, you, you juxtapose that against their rotation. Their rotation is pretty good with uh, Herman Marcus up top and Kyle Freeland. Um, Senzatella, you know, came on uh, strong last year and has a lot of ability. Uh, you know, John Gray is still, you know, in that mix. So, they're better with their rotation than they are offensively, which is so strange to say about a Colorado Rockies team. Um, I think had things been normal, they were going to spend 
this offseason because they had a, a lot of uh, contracts coming off the book, particularly in their bullpen. Um, I don't know. I'm just being honest. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're going to keep you know, they're, they're, you know, money very tight. And, um, I think they're kind of in this, you know, that, that middle-class state, which is, you know, it's tough to be in because, you know, you either want to be rebuilding and restocking the farm system or be at a level that you think you can strongly contend. And, and they're probably somewhere in the middle right now. So, so Drew, you mentioned Trevor Story's name and to everybody on the outside looking in, it sure looks like Trevor Story could be a cornerstone piece for the Rockies, but of course a free agent in the upcoming off season, not this one right here. How do you view the Rockies' plans with Trevor Story rather than let him walk to free agency? Well, you you never, and this is an obvious one, you never want to see a talent of that magnitude walk out the door and all you get is a, a compensatory pick. Um, so if you don't, if you can't resign them, don't think you can resign them, then you obviously have to move them and get move him and get you know, as much in return as possible. That would be, you know, heartbreaking for the fan base because Trevor Story, like Nolan Arenado, is is adored, you know, in this region, and, well, he should be. I mean, he does everything right. I mean, he, he impacts the game um, on both sides. He's, he's not only, a you know, a power-hitting shortstop. He is, you know, a, an elite glove. Um, he is one of the, you know, ten fastest players in baseball, uh, so, you know, you're talking about a guy in a full season in his prime that's a 30-30 guy that, that plays gold glove caliber defense um, at, at, other than catcher, the most important defensive position. So, you know, this is a rare breed, and that 2021 class of shortstops I know is is going to be probably a, a once-in-a-generation type of grouping uh, on the open market. Uh, you know, as a fan, you know, if you take the broadcaster hat off as a fan, you want to see, you know, the Rockies keep a story and, and build around him and get better around him. Um, he's a great kid on top of it. I mean, he's a high-character guy. Um, he's developing, you know, I think leadership because his nature is to be pretty quiet, but he's, he's, you know, becoming more, uh, you know, outspoken, if you will. Um, I don't know. I can't, uh, honestly, guys, I have no idea what the Rockies are going to do um, in that regard. Um, so uh, that will be fascinating to watch unfold here, you know, this winter and, and going forward. I, I do, I do think this much had things been normal, the Rockies and, uh, and Dick Montfort would have done everything they could to re-sign him and historically save a guy you know well and Matt Holiday. They have had great success at keeping their own guys. Um, you know whether it be a Helton, whether it be a Tulowitzki who ultimately got traded, but they gave him a very big deal if you recall. Mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado obviously just signed a 260 plus million dollar deal. They did it with Blackman, 100 plus million. Cargo was an 80 million dollar guy. They've kept their own guys, and I think if you know in an ideal situation, Dick Montford certainly would like to do that. But I don't know how this plays out. Final question for you, Drew, the guy that has certainly for Cardinals fan been the the great white Buffalo that they've been wanting for the last seemingly five years is Nolan Arenado. And we know what the situation is. We've heard it play out publicly with his contract and with him wanting the Rockies to be a contender. Do you see anything changing for him and the Rockies this offseason as opposed to previous years when it was always bantied about, it was rumored that he was a trade candidate and it's never happened? Do you think that changes this offseason or next year? 
I, I think potentially uh, it, it could. I, I think that the Rockies will always listen. They listened evidently last year also. Um, you know, the things have changed. Uh, you know, first of all, I want, I want to say this. When, when players come out and say, I want to win, I always kind of laugh at that. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 because if I'm sitting in the, in the locker next door, I'm like, what, I don't care about winning? You care more about winning than I do? I mean, that's a ludicrous type of statement, I, and I love Nolan. But, I mean, when, when that gets thrown around, I, 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 almost, I, I think it's comical. And it was born out of the 2019 season, which did not go well for the Rockies, but was on the heels of 2017 and 2018 where the Rockies went to the postseason. So um, they were winning. And... Uh, you know, with with the other thing that keeps coming back up with the pandemic and, and the finances, I know Nolan's not about every last dollar, but it's unlikely that if he were to opt out that he would recoup the money that he had on his current contract. So, I mean, what role does that play going forward? I don't know. I would say this. A year plus ago, fellas, if you told me Nolan was going to get traded, I'd say, no way, it's not going to happen. Now, if we all read about it tomorrow or next week that he got traded to whether it be the Cardinals or, or another team um, for several players, I would not be shocked in the least bit. So, um, you know, the whole world's been turned upside down. Certainly the baseball universe has been turned upside down. So uh, I, I think that's the best way I can answer that question is that I, it wouldn't surprise me now. It would have 12 months ago. Drew. Drew, always appreciate the time, my friend. People can find you on Twitter at DrewGoodman42. Of course, Rockies broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet as well. All the best to you and your family. Happy holiday to you guys. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we get a full baseball season to be able to watch next year. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. And also, a quick little plug. Uh, I have a podcast uh, if, if it, that I do a lot of different people around baseball and and, uh, and around sports in general. So it's the Drew Goodman podcast. If you want to download that, uh, much appreciated. But you guys have a great holiday, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Drew Goodman, Rockies broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet, joining us here on 101 ESPN. That last quote that he had there is really interesting, man. A year ago, he would have thought, no way. No, mm-mm, not going to happen. They're, they will not trade Nolan Arenado. And now, he said, if there was a trade that was announced tomorrow, it, it wouldn't shock him. Mm-hmm. It, he, he, he doesn't think that it's going to happen, but it wouldn't shock him given the finances across baseball. Of course, the question then comes back to the Cardinal side of things of, okay, well, what are you giving up? And how much money of that $200 million that remains on Arenado's deal are the Cardinals going to have to pick up? And right. that's that's been the question all along, and it remains that even more so to a higher degree now than it did at one point. Well, and he's not wrong about the Rockies keeping these guys close to the chest. I never realized that, but all of these 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 elite players, they've made sure that they've locked up. They've moved on from them, but they've locked them up through their primes. Whatever happens with Arenado is going to dictate what happens with Story. Absolutely. If you don't trade Arenado... I don't know how you bring back story in the world that he just talked about, how they keep things close to the chest. But if you move Arenado, I wouldn't look to Trevor Story becoming a free agent. It's 117, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up at 130. It seems like we actually have some real tangible news as to when the NHL is going to be starting back up. We'll talk about the Blues coming up at 130 with Chris Kerber. But coming up next, they finally did it. They finally did it. And now there's some questions that come as a result of it. We'll tell you what that is coming up on 101 ESPN. 
We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The reason it's a difficult decision is not because of Carson Wentz's play or whatever, deciding between the two quarterbacks. It's because they're financially tied to Wentz for two years, right? He can speak to this. Money influences roster decisions in the NFL. Like, you pay that much money, you're going to make excuses for a guy as long as you can. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mina Kimes on ESPN Radio earlier today. The Eagles have officially done it. They finally did it, man. Carson Wentz is no longer the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. They have decided that Jalen Hurts is going to be the guy, um, at least for this week. We'll see what happens moving forward, but they have moved on. Carson Wentz is going to back up Jalen Hurts for this week. It's a decision they had to make. I mean, you look at what he's done this year. He's been legitimately one of the worst starting quarterbacks, if not the worst every game starting quarterback in all of football. And so eventually this was the only option that they could make. The question now, though, what do you do moving forward? Because next year, if they were to trade him for Ario, it's $34 million against the cap. So it is the same for them to keep him on the roster as it is for them to trade him elsewhere. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know how many teams out there are going to be like, you know what? Let's take on $34 million um, Carson Wentz for the upcoming year. That just seems unlikely for me for them to say, okay, yeah, we'll give you a second round pick for it. Yeah. When has that worked out for teams when they trade somebody away and pay them to play for another team? Yeah, it's, it's pretty rare. And so I don't know what happens next year for the Eagles, but for the here and now, How do you view this move? Like, is this both the end of Carson Wentz in Philadelphia and the start of the Jalen Hurts era? Or is it something different entirely in your mind? I don't view this as the end of Carson Wentz because of the financial restrictions that go into place and kind of what he is to those Philadelphia teams. Right now, I view this as Jalen Hurts' team because Carson Wentz just hasn't looked good and they need to build things around him. Right now, Wentz isn't going anywhere. Jalen Hurts, to me, is not a franchise quarterback. And look, he might be great, but from what we saw in the couple times we've seen him this season, he's okay. He's Carson Wentz okay. For me, what I feel like this has become is, look, Carson, you're, you're not great right now, but we're not great right now. Even Doug Peterson said that the coaching players everyone needs to be better i view this as we're committed to carson this isn't working so next year it's going to be a head coach change next year it's going to be we need to upgrade elsewhere so that we can make carson Wentz better because like it or not and i can be in this company because i take shots at carson Wentz more than anybody carson Wentz was an mvp type of player before he was injured when they won the Absolutely. super bowl So if you get back to that, which you need to build around that roster, and I know Doug Peterson was the coach then, but Doug Peterson's not the coach now, and I think they got to find a different head coach to work with Carson Wentz. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Somebody from the 314 says Carson would only be on the books for about $20 million for another team if they were to trade him. Absolutely. He would count for $34 million against the cap for the Eagles, and that's what makes this so difficult for them to be able to move on. And for his new team, it's about $25.4 million, which isn't an insignificant amount of money. That's still a, a pretty big salary for whoever takes him on. I wonder if a team like Indianapolis would decide to go this route. Um, I would think they would want a little bit more certainty because that's somebody that right now could be a contender if they were able to get a solid veteran like Matt Stafford. If I'm the Colts, I would rather have Matt Stafford right now than Carson Wentz. However, if I'm one of these other teams that's kind of in some uncertain times, like for instance, if I'm the Bears, I might take a chance on this. 
Because right now you have nothing. Mitchell Trubisky is not the answer at quarterback. And you're not going to find it in the draft for where you're going to be picking this year. And you're not a contender, right? So that's a team that I would maybe look at if I'm looking for somebody that would make some sense for Carson Wentz. Um, maybe the New England Patriots. If I'm them, I'm taking a chance on them because my, my team around him is not a contender mm-hmm. right now. It's solid. It's fine. But it's not an actual contender. The Colts are. The Colts we're seeing right now with average quarterback player eight and four, and they're very well may win the AFC South at the end of the season. And so that's why I think it's a little bit different as for Jalen hurts. Anybody that watched him in college would likely tell you he's fine. He's fine. I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. And this is why you go back to the decision in the first place of taking him in the second round. That was where all of this started, because if you would have taken somebody that maybe helped Carson wins like a wide receiver. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're or talking about something line. different and maybe the whole season goes a little different. Probably not, but possibly. And so that's where things started going off of the rails is you gave yourself an alternative when you didn't really need to, if it was going to go South with Carson Wentz, the guy probably was go that was going to replace him. was going to be either signed, traded for or drafted this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And they decided to do it a year early. It's also why I had the problem with what the Packers did in the first round taking love when they already have Aaron Rodgers there. So all of those decisions were puzzling at the moment. They're puzzling now as we move forward here for Ariel. Again, like you said, Wentz was once upon a time an MVP candidate. That was real. He was actually a really good player. Which is strange to say. And now he stinks. (laughs) And we've seen this before. RG3 went through a similar span where his first year, amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely unbelievable. Gets hurt. We all know the story. And then has never been the same. Now he's a backup quarterback as a result. The same in some ways was true of Cam Newton. A really good quarterback for the Panthers. Got hurt. The injuries took their toll. Now he's not the same player. And we've seen that this year in New England. Who do you think is the next guy? That goes down that cycle because we see this. It seems like every few years where there's a quarterback that takes the league by storm early in his career. And then later on, three, four years down the road, we're like, oh, we might have overrated that guy early on. Or it's the injuries. And that ultimately is the thing that is their down. I think you and I are going to be on the same page, but there's two names that come to mind. One is Lamar Jackson, but he changed my mind a little bit last night. He looks good last night. The obvious choice for me is Kyler Murray. I I think Kyler Murray is going to be in this territory because of the shoulder injury that we've talked about because of kind of how he protects himself and how small of a stature he is as a quarterback. He just makes me worried that you're getting into our G three territory where this guy looks great. He's got the team around him, but one injury might break this guy moving forward. For me, I know this is going to sound crazy because I, I, I'm, I agree with you to an extent, I think it's Baker Mayfield. And the reason why there might be some pushback to this is because maybe you're like, ah, well, we already don't view him that way. Think back for a moment, though. Reverse yourself back to 2018. In the middle of that season, he replaces their starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, Mm -hmm. and he finishes the year breaking the all-time rookie record for most touchdown passes by any rookie quarterback in the history of the league. Finished the year with 3,800 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. And people thought at the time, oh, wow, This might work for the Browns. They actually might have picked the right guy at number one overall. And then you go into the 2019 season, you add Odell Beckham, you've got Jarvis Landry. Now suddenly you add Kareem Hunt to the mix. Like everybody was super excited about what the Browns could be. And then they were terrible (laughs) and it didn't work in year two. And then this year he's just been okay. 21 touchdowns, seven picks. I think he might be the next guy that three years down the road, we're still asking the questions of is Baker Mayfield 
the starter long term for the Browns? Is he not? And if there's any injuries that are added into this mix, he's the guy that I would go with. I think maybe the better comparison is probably Jared Goff. Yeah, because I think for both of them, they're probably going to get the contracts as Jared Goff did. And you're always going to have those questions in the back of your mind. Should they be looking to upgrade here? Like, is the is the talent around them better to the point where if they had a different quarterback that was an upgrade over this player, would they actually be a Super Bowl contender right now instead of playoff contender? I didn't even think of Goff, and Goff should be the one that it screams to all of us because you make the Super Bowl. He was he was the next big thing, and then now, I mean, we had Therese Paler on Monday. You don't you can't even find somebody that says this guy's in elite territory as a quarterback. Yeah, he's, he's certainly not there. I'm surprised. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. We got multiple people that are saying Joe Burrow is going to be that guy. Really? He did have the injury. So there, there is the one for one comp there, but man, I, I just really like what I've seen from Joe Burrow this year. But again, I he was, I was all changer. in on Carson Wentz. Yeah. I, I thought Carson Wentz was similar. So maybe that is somebody worth considering. I was in all round. in on RG three too at the time. And, and you had the same, somewhat of the same injury compared to Burrow and RG3, so yeah, you yep, might be in the same ACL. spot. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. What is the number one thing that Chris Kerber is excited to see from the Blues in 2021? We finally know when they're likely to be playing. We're going to talk to the voice of the Blues about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is where we go now to be joined by Chris Kerber, voice of the blues. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? BK, doing great. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic, and I'll be doing even better about a month from now as it sounds like we should be preparing for the NHL season. The money negotiations are, for the most part, kind of put to the rearview mirror now. Uh, what was your reaction the other day, as you heard? Sounding like mid-January, probably for the start of the NHL season. It's kind of where we've talked about it landing all along, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, this while While complicated in details... Uh, not overly complicated in in understanding how the timing will work. So that's that's a positive there. I, I think you know there's a board of governor call of uh, call today. What at two o'clock Central Time, um, and you know that that's when they'll run it, and, and and we'll get some more certainties coming out of that. So the good news, like you said, we're we're in the process of getting to some certainties there, and then uh, the rest of it will have to get figured out. But. Um, some direction, some knowing when a start date's going to go is going to be good for a lot of people. And, man, it's going to give us Blues fans something to really look forward to through the rest of this winter. Without question. In curves right now, at least the name, or the number being floated out there is 56. It's what the players want to try and play with. And you remember that 12-13 lockout season where I, I believe it was 48 games that they played, and it was kind of in a crunched schedule. So I would imagine January 13th with 56 games should be a pretty attainable uh, goal for the NHL. Yeah, you know, if you go back and you – the compressed schedule topic is is a bit of a fascinating one for stats geeks like myself where you, you – like how compressed really is it compared to uh, other scenarios, you know? And you know, you're talking about hitting 40 games typically right around that January 1st, you know, standpoint. So from that aspect, it'll be compressed, but you won't have an all-star break later in the uh, later in the schedule as well. So – um, you know, to me, to me, Alex, it's going to make it fascinating because it's going to become a sprint. I mean, 
What you remember about the the 94-95 season, what you remember about the 12-13 season, was starting was critical because it was an absolute sprint to the finish. Mm -hmm. And look, there are going to be teams, I really believe this, especially with the way these divisions could get realigned. There are going to be some teams that you would think in a normal regular season scenario where they are may not have a chance. Man, I'm telling you something. If they get off to a good start, they could end up having a chance. You, you know, like like could the L.A. Kings with Jonathan Quick find a stride that puts them into a playoff picture? It's actually possible, I think, in a shorter season, which is going to be fascinating to watch. And Curbs, not even just like the compressed in terms of the number of games, right? But also there's there's these reports, and I would love to get your perspective on this, of the National Hockey League maybe looking into doing what are essentially like series, the way that we see them in baseball, where it, the Blues would go to Nashville for a three-game set against the Predators, and then they would play those three games in like four nights, and that would be their season series against any individual team do you think that would change the way that teams view the season as well like would we suddenly see in that three game series Bennington's going to start two of those games Huso gets one and maybe on one of those nights you give a veteran off would that change anything from that perspective from the coaching side of things yeah I, I think you're absolutely right I think all of that would be in play the, what, what's fascinating about that is Let's take two really good teams in the Western Conference like Colorado and St. Louis. Now, we don't know yet whether or not it's St. Louis and Dallas, or which we don't know whether it's Dallas, St. Louis, or Minnesota, which two of those three are probably going to go to the Western Division, uh, the Pacific Division for this season. But it's, it's pretty obvious that two of those three probably have to go. I would tend to think that, honestly, St. Louis may end up staying out of that one because it would keep the St. Louis-Chicago rivalry in place. Plus, the other thing you have to really look at here is the balance of the division. You put Dallas, St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado in a division out west, I mean, it, it, that ends up being just a, a beat-em-up kind of division. But to the point that, that you were just making, BK, you put that with the comments that you made in there. What if you're, what if you're St. Louis and you're going to play one of those two- to three-game series against uh, Colorado, and that's the, that's the week that that's the week that Nathan McKinnon can't play because of COVID or that's the week that Nathan McKinnon, you know, can't play. And, uh, you know, and a Kale McCarr can't play because of groin injuries. Right. And then the following week, those guys are able to play and you just got lucky enough to catch them and pick up head to head points when those guys are out. The, uh, the, the injury aspect is another fascinating one when it comes to head to head play over a series to me that look, it's going to be a factor, but, it, I, I really do think that that type of schedule does make some sense where you're, you're lowering the amount of travel risk that you could mix into there. So I, I, uh, I'm not in favor of obviously something like that long term, but in this one season in a 56-game sprint to the playoffs, Let's do it that way and just have some fun with the with the storylines it presents. Well, that's my thing with this one, Curbs. I mean, you're basically going playoff series throughout an entire regular season with some of these teams. And if you want storylines, you're going to get a lot of hatred between some of these teams just in a 56-game schedule before you even get into a postseason. So I think this is going to provide more storylines. And frankly, I think this is going to provide a lot more intrigue from the common sports fan in the NHL rather than what it's been in the past. Well, we have to accept uh, for for the second straight season, the, the end of last season, the playoffs, and then this season, that we just have to accept creativity and what it takes to get it done 
as the norm for right now. We know that that's not a, a best-case scenario in a normal 82-game season. All right, so let's not overly worry and get, you know, get too hyped up and bothered by how that part comes about. I, I'm just glad that we're able to get it done and play. And let's go ahead and, and take that approach of what amazing storylines come out of this. I mean, three games head-to-head between the Blues and Las Vegas. Holy smokes, I'd look forward to that week like nothing else. Like, I think it'd, it'd be fantastic right now. So, especially with everything on the line in, in a shortened season. So, let's do it. Let's have some fun with it. And then uh, let's just see who the last team standing is. Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, one of the other, uh, not announcements yet, but reports coming out yesterday is the possibility and the likelihood of expanded rosters and a taxi squad for NHL teams this season. For the Blues, as you start kind of going through your mind of what that expanded roster could potentially look like, who are some players that that come to mind for you that that might be able to benefit? Like, are, are we talking about Perunovic potentially being with the big league club this year? Who are some guys that come to mind that c- could stand to benefit from those expanded rosters? Okay, well, it, it's an interesting question because um, I like like the. The benefit of it is, is is good in some ways and not good in others. If you're looking at a Nico Mikola, if for some reason you don't think that Perunovic is ready, um, if, if there's something along those lines, you would rather have those guys playing in every key situation, logging 20 to 25 minutes a night in Springfield in the American League. But the expanded rosters, I think, are going to be critical for this season because if you're going to get camp going in a two-week window, you're not going to play exhibition games. And, and it's going to be kind of, uh, you know, all chaos right off the bat. I, I think you do have an increased uh, situation where injuries can play a part of it. The other factor is obviously COVID. The unknown, you go, somebody tests, and you might have three guys having to sit out over the course of 10 days. Well, then you're going to need those guys there. And what you're not going to be able to do is necessarily decimate your American Hockey League team with all that in there, too. So, the reach of, of this decision, it not only impacts those players here, it impacts the American Hockey League affiliations and those teams there. That is obviously going to play a big part in it. But, but to me, it's, it's the Miko Mikolas uh, that are, that are going to get a chance. I think Perunovic has a chance to make this club right off the bat. It's going to be there. The forward standpoint is really kind of wide open for the St. Louis Blues. So it, will you, how the fight will be for those, and I'd have to go back to a roster, but I think there are far more options on the defensive side than the forward side. So, Curbs, my final question, looking at the projection right now from Pierre Lebrun and Greg Wyshynski of what the Central Division could look like realigned, I'm curious your take if you feel like that's more of an advantage for St. Louis or a challenge when you look at the teams because you have Vegas, of course, in that division, but you don't have Colorado and you don't have Dallas in that division. So I, I, this to me is kind of my favorite topic right now, just to watch how this plays out. Um, if I, I think they're going to work about some competitive balance in there, like I'd said in the previous comment, I, I just don't see Dallas, St. Louis, Vegas, and Colorado all in the same division. All right, But you go back more to, to the central division. Well, okay, well, now you could be pulling in Columbus again, and then they're a pretty good team. You could be pulling in Detroit. I love the storylines of the Blues in Detroit back in the same division you know, for one year. And the fact that Detroit's not very good, that helps. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, it's going to be, I, I think you're going to worry a little bit less about the travel aspect of it. If they go with the baseball model 
because you're not, you know, going from three different cities, you know, and then and that kind of thing it, it, within the span of four days. So I think you could take that part off the mix a little bit. But I, I think somehow you're going to end up you're going to end up with, I would say, two good quality teams per division. You know, two real like, like whether it's Vegas and Colorado in the West, you know, and then and then Dallas, uh, uh, St. Louis, Nashville in, in the Central, you know, with, with with the other teams there. How, how that all plays out is going to be interesting, but they're going to have to be careful not to stack it. Um, you know, where this all of a sudden you've you've got a real quality team that's got a harder chance of making the playoffs because you stack the division. I, I think they're going to be very cognizant of that as they play this through. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber, and we cannot wait to be able to hear him calling the games once again for the St. Louis Blues right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again next week. Get the skate sharpened, boys. It's coming soon. Can't wait. That's Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Join in the holiday spirit by contributing to Carriker and Smallman's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser for the Little Bit Foundation. If you donate at least $25 online between now and December 14th, you've got less than a week to go here. You will receive a complimentary 101 ESPN T-Shirt as a gift for your donation. That $25 helps the Little Bit Foundation provide a backpack of school supplies to local students in need thanks to the presenting sponsor massage lux also a huge thanks today to all state agent tracy bibb for making a donation match of up to 500 dollars to the 12 days of t-shirts fundraiser again a huge thanks all state agent tracy bibb for making that match donation so if you if you donate today up to 500 dollars match today by tracy bibb find all the details and make your donation at 101 espn.com coming up next we'll cross things over with the fast lane right here on 101 espn we're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. And Kylie, if you missed any of the show today, 101ESPN.com. The 101 ESPN app is where you can find the podcast. It is brought to you by I Promise. Let's cross things over. The Fast Lane BT's in studio now. BT, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Excited to join you guys today. Thrilled to have you in. Sorry like I'm we didn't get to you earlier. A little I, underdressed. It's my fault. Ferrario showed up today. He's got court. And he, he's like full suit. Looks like he's getting ready to go broadcast Looks pre good. and post game show. Looks fantastic. Mm. Thanks, BK. I appreciate that. that I nice assumed because Ferrario does this when he's got like video stuff to do after the show. Right. So I assumed that that was the case. Uh-huh. And then about midway through the show today, um, we have Ryder come in and Ryder's like, hey, man, wh- why'd you dress up? And Ferrario's like, oh, you know, I just I wanted to look nice today. That's good. Dress for the job that you want. You should be a little scared, BK. I'm going to be honest with you. That's what they say. I've never once been like, you know what? It's 9 a.m. I just want to put on a suit today. I Not a single time in my life. I haven't a sports coat in a while. <laughs> look, here's the thing. We're about to get into the uh, the cold days of winter okay. where all you want are sweatpants and hoodies. So I figure why not take advantage good of for a 60-degree weather? Look good, feel good, right, BT? That's what they say. That? 
urge? Like, no, are you like, you I, know what? I need to put on the slacks, the boots, and a jacket today. No, I, I did. I did a half dress this morning with sweatpants on for a show for Fox Sports. <laughs> that's uh, different, though. Yeah, <laughs> sitting in the basement because that's what people really think that you do at your home, right? You mm-hmm. see the basement, it's like obviously he's going to be wearing a suit and tie. Of so course, that's perfect. So I, I'll do that for work. But no, I don't wake up with the urge to say, you know what? Let's get all gussied up today. Let's get let's get going a little bit. So, but good for you because you look fantastic. Yeah, God Thank bless you. you for it, man. I appreciate it. I just try to make everyone else a little bit brighter around here. So I put the suit on. Oh, you did good. You did, so good. You did one, good, kid. One quick Cardinals question for you. I'm sure you guys are going to oh, get into plenty of this me, huh? later today. <laughs> no hockey um, if you want. Mo is expected to speak at 3.30 this afternoon. Yeah. Do you do you think he's going to have many answers? And I'm not asking, like, do you think he's going to give answers to questions? He's going to answer yes, what's, he is. what's asked of him. Yeah. But is there anything really to report right now, given how much uncertainty there still remains across baseball and specifically here in St. Louis? No, I mean, <laughs> okay. really, uh, and more so it's it's less of the St. Louis part of it, really. And I do think it's more of a grander baseball thing. Now, Mo's addressing the media because it's winter meetings and what you do. And you never know. Like, Mo is really honest. You ask the right questions. He'll give you the answers. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's going to be company, company line things that he toes around. Or you're going to have to read within the answer of what he's actually saying. But But he is honest when he goes around it. But I think that. I think, and maybe he'll change our minds. Like, I think we know how the Cardinals are attacking this offseason, or at least what their idea is. Barring tomorrow, we hear, oh, yeah, by the way, once uh, 2021 hits, you can go to stadiums. Right. Like, that that's a thing. That's totally fine. Because I did tell the guys earlier, I don't know if you guys know this is how things work, but once the calendar flips over, all the problems from the year yeah, prior, told, yeah. they're gone. 2020 so, stays in 2020. Exactly. As soon as January 1st hit, we got a packed Bush Stadium. You got 46,000 in that bad boy. And then all of a sudden, you're calling up uh, Yachty. Say, hey, you want your two-year deal? He's like, ah, I'm not sure. He's like, hey, just so you know, I got JT on the other line. <laughs> no, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll, we'll come back. So I, I don't know exactly what to uh, expect uh, out of Mo today, but uh, he will be talking to the media at about 3.30, uh, I would assume by around 5 o'clock, because last time he did this, he spoke for at least an hour with the assembled media. I'd assume by around 5, we'll end up having what he said. We'll, we'll hash it up. We'll break it down, and we'll uh, we'll let you know. Love to hear it. Looking forward to that. Uh, with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 o'clock. The Fast Lane, what else do you guys have coming up today? Oh, we got Jordan Bennington today. Ho, ho, ho. Got Benner today, 4.30. Better tune in for that one. Uh, I, I told Jamie, I go, take your boy on a ride. Let's have a little fun today. Let's learn about Benner. Let, yeah. let, let's talk about it. Let's have some fun. So Benner's going to be great. 4.30, tune in for him. I'm sure he'll have some great Let stuff. me throw a challenge at you. Okay. Make him laugh once in the interview. Just once? Just once. That's it? That's it. Does he not laugh? Joey did a uh, a season ticket holder thing with him last week, and Joey said he had to start pulling out games because Jordan was given those quick answers. He's in season mode. Okay. One laugh. All right. Gonna, one laugh at 430. We'll start writing some I'm games. I'm fully expecting that. That's coming up at 430. The fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.